I don't know why it's eluding me. My brain's super fuzzy this week. Super like, fuzzy. I feel like the men in black got me with a neuralizer at some point in the last week and wiped all concrete forward momentum moving memories that I had. I feel like I got to start all over again. Oh, really? With my memory base. Does that? Oh, that has to be their mock draft. That's not. Does that ever happen to you, though, because of the way that like the news works and information works nowadays is some topics, some discussions, they reach a stop. What do you mean? The elections is an example. Well, yeah, We're not going to talk about the elections tonight, but that's because you can sense that any new developments that are happening in the mainstream are really just regurgitated, like very well, finite, very small. Like they're 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 keeping it alive because yes, it hasn't been stamped and sealed by the electoral college or anything. But at this point, it's probably getting the massive ratings by the people who leave their TV on all day long and are interested in every single second of this. And so they just keep regurgitating the same recycled stories in nuanced ways, with very slight enhancements. That's the news. Well, that's twenty four seven news, sure. Which is all the networks, as far as I'm concerned, CNN doesn't deviate programming right now. Well, no, they don't, but I don't know that everyone consumes. They do it that way because they have new viewers every so often. They know that they don't have somebody that sits down and watches it for eight straight hours. That's why they regurgitate the stories every hour or whatever. Yeah, so I I was saying that, like, just my brain, there's a certain level of brain fog this past week or two. I think that happens to me anytime we talk politics essentially brain fog yeah just just we've been talking very disappointing it is an election year right unfortunately at the end so part of me does look back in hindsight and say how much was i swindled into having my brain focus too much on electoral matters and it's pretty important to pay attention to well, as it's happening. Topical things are topical things. I mean, it was going to be a to- very topical thing this year. Did we have a chance at avoiding it? No. For like our show and the type of no, thing that no, we do here? We no. didn't. We couldn't have just kept it COVID the whole time and ignored everything else? I think it would have been hard for us because there's too many of those stories that crossed our minds, crossed our <coughs> thought processes. Our radar. Yeah. yeah. It's still not over. There's shows out there. For all intents and purposes, it's over. It's amazing. You know, I I didn't mention this last episode, um, but it is amazing how we no longer know how to lose with dignity and we no longer know how to win with dignity at all. I named the episode From Winners to Losers and I thought it's because we talked talked about tackling how to win and how to lose, but I listened back and... We did it briefly, but we didn't hone in on it. And you're right. It's a big problem. It's like if you win these days, you jump in the face of your opponent or someone who was rooting against you and you yell and scream about how they suck. And and if you lose, that you didn't lose because you were, you were worse or outplayed. You lost because the ref screwed you or some law screwed you or somebody cheated to get that win. I, it's just like. Okay. You know, I don't know where that comes from. Let's reel it back a little bit. Let's talk about how you and I win and win or lose. We've partake, partook in several activities in the last five, six years, both physical sports and mental activities like board games and competitions and stuff. Tell me how you lose. 
and then I'll 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 agree with what you're saying, or I'll add insight to how I feel as if you come. This is just like an experiment. It's not it, a. It, it's um. It depends lose, on. How do you lose? It depends on the situation, uh, honestly, and who and, and what we're doing, right? <laughs> if it's something you thought you could win, how do you lose? I lose fairly well, I would say. I'll still probably talk a little trash, but I take my loss because generally I look at it like I, I had control at some point and and lost control, so I won't blame a loser. You feel you were always loser. in it and you had a chance to win if you had just done something Dumb, slightly yeah, differently. Made one choice different on a board game or made one one shot physically uh, in, a, in a disc golf course uh, that I don't make. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's a little bit different because I don't know that that's really high stakes competition. Uh, sometimes it feels that way, but I. Um, what about when you lose at the racetrack versus I, winning at the racetrack? Um, Even though that's pure chance, but well, not pure chance. It's um. What did Mike Shinoda say? Seventy percent focused, concentrated power and will. You know, something along those yeah. lines, right? <laughs> I, well, with stuff like that, you the losses has got to roll off of your back, man. You can't dwell on why you lost. Okay. Because uh, if you do, it'll you'll just end up making a mistake on your next one, and then you'll make a mistake on that one. And there's the uh, problem, then, right? Uh, we were talking about a board game and disc golf being low stake competitions, and they kind of are. But what's hopping online for somebody and spouting off at the mouth? Ha ha ha! In the face of their adversary online, who they don't even know. Yeah, trash um, talking between like it's fans, all very. Right? It's lower than disc golf. It's yeah. lower than board gaming. Right. Um, so there's no there's no imperative for those people to care how they lose or how they win online. It's all yeah. anonymous, and unfortunately, there's no accountability once they log off. There's no there's no like there's no one waiting for you and and waiting to sit you down and discuss the things that you were talking about online. Unless you're on a show like Meandering, or you have a group of friends that pays attention to what you say on social media and would call you out on some uh, extreme or uh, just incorrect rhetoric that you were going off. There's none of that. There's no kind of a lot of these folks online are, in my opinion, they're sole individuals who don't have anyone to talk to offline. Well, and it's weird too, right? Because if they're losing, you don't even hear from them. This is one of my one of the reasons I hate cow the Dallas Cowboys so much. I hate them with every fiber of football passion mm-hmm. in my body. And the reason is is because of their fans. It's not really yeah. has any, any doesn't have anything to do with the team. And you know, when I went to work at Image Technology, I didn't think there were any football fans there. And it's not till three years later because the Cowboys went five and eleven for like three straight years, and that happened to be yeah. the first three years I worked there. Well, the next year when they were doing well and they were like ten and six, twelve and four, the next thing I know, I got guys talking trash to me. I'm like, I didn't even know you liked football, and now you're talking trash to me about the Dallas Cowboys. Where were you the last three years when this team sucked? Mm-hmm. And I could have been talking trash to you. You hid. Oh, okay, I see how it is. I sure am glad you mentioned that because in light of this being an election year. There have been scientific studies that have drawn comparisons, neurologically speaking, with the way that your fandom for your favorite sports team works just bleeds right into your political engagement and the same attitudes that you have. Not tit for tat, but the same response, the same releases of dopamine that you get when your team scores a touchdown versus Trump saying something on the TV that makes you a hoot and holler or Biden for that matter. It's the same thing. 
And so my one big club theory from nearly a year ago, we're almost at our one year birthday. I think that came the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, if I'm correct, I'll have to double check. Did we that. start that early on last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. Uh, it was just one mic at that point, one mic, two voices. <laughs> yeah. The, the way the mind works, it's very tribal. It's very divided. Don't know that that's always been the case and is natural, especially in the 21st century when you, you've just got so much thrown at you that I, I think these systems, I've thought about it a little bit more, these systems, they definitely are built similarly to one another based on the fact that they all draw a lot of money and they draw a lot of attention and they draw a lot of investment. So that's to say, like if you just look at the gladiator days, the Roman gladiator days and the fans and the crowd going crazy then, that sort of somebody was paying attention to that sort of thing and it bled into something else that garnered money and attention uh theater perhaps or or even some other um combat sports back in those days but you drag that entire lineage or, across the years and you get the melting pot that you have in, in the US which is really just driven to garner a ton of involvement fandom and revenue that's it even down to revenue has been a byproduct of sports really yes Mm. when when baseball's kicking off in the 1800s it's not kicking off in the 1800s to make money absolutely not yeah football's getting started at a collegiate level in the whatever it was 1920s 1930s leatherheads right right it's it's not even in the first professional league uh, football it's not really a about it's not really until television becomes colorized and is in homes in the 60s and 70s to where money starts to be a more driving factor for the sport. I think, I think sports in a lot of ways um, has replaced war or battles or raiding and stuff like that in a lot of ways. It's given you a different outlet to. Well, not in not have it end in death, <laughs> right? Uh, but still have that uh, competition and that physicalness uh, with football, maybe even hockey with the physical play um, uh, of an opponent. I even enjoyed basketball from a physical standpoint when I played it, um, and I think it's an element. Some of your hoop it up games did end in death, from what I hear, though. No, no I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know. We're talking about gunshots would be taken. It wouldn't be in us. We were nice and innocent in the whole thing. Sure. But uh, yes, we were on more than one blacktop where gunshots rang out. Sure. Just I don't think anybody got broken. I don't think anybody got shot, but people went to would get pissed and go to their car and get their gun every now and then. Well, that's good. Everybody's doing that in Dallas these days. Yeah, not much difference. <clears throat> well, I, I agree with you. Kind of. I can't. Uh, repel the notion that modern day sports are almost algorithmically designed to bring in mass amounts of revenue. I mean, the NBA players to that, the NBA jerseys have, I mean, the NBA jerseys have advertisements on them from companies now at this point, Hmm. which if you were to say that 10 to 15 years ago, it would have been heavily like, Well, 10 to to 15 years ago, it was being talked about already because the European soccer leagues were already doing it. Yeah, but I'm talking about the culture of the the fans and and the sport and the league itself. I don't know that 15 years ago in 
0405, you can just hardcore throw advertising in people's face while they're watching something that up till that point they deemed sort of pure of something like that minus the television commercials. Uh, you're going to have to go further back than that. It was You think so? Oh god. Yes. You don't think the internet changed the way we look at um propaganda as far as like it being everywhere and you, you don't it's, think it's it's, it's always woken been everywhere. I know. But you're you're knowledgeable of that. I don't think that the the layman is. And now the layman is because they watch the NBA and they see stuff on the jerseys. All I'm saying is the uh, progression of advertising and propaganda being everywhere, literally everywhere, where you drive, what you watch on TV, what you watch on your computer. Uh, if you look at your phone, it's not you can't, well, you used to find, you used to be able to find pockets where you could avoid it. There were pockets of society where you could enjoy something even though it was still deeply embedded there, it was still, it wasn't as noticeable. Now it's just flat out noticeable. I don't know. I would disagree. Okay. It it, it may not be as... I think if you your... go camping in the middle of the woods now, you're going to get hit with some sort of propaganda, whether it's through your phone, whether it's through the camping well, site. If you're going to a, a decent camping site, <laughs> uh, remote that's remote, you don't have phone service usually. And when we go on our fishing trips, uh, usually some of my family and I will get together. We'll actually, we usually have been renting a house or a cabin on, on lakes or rivers or whatever. And generally speaking, there isn't much phone reception out there. I, I don't even carry my computer. Do you, do you believe in, uh, propaganda control, like control of the mind through propaganda? Well, yeah, if it's China, sure. Uh, in America, there's so many places that are trying to fight for your attention. They're not all on the same page to get you to go the same way. They're not all in the same club? No. They're in competition with one another. Have you looked at like the big parent companies in the U.S. recently or the, the charts or the uh, the sort of family trees of how corporate structure works meaning like you've got about six to ten companies that have all these subsidiaries that have all these subsidiaries and all that so if i'm just taking that for what it's worth aren't they kind of like running the show like down to the cereal boxes on the grocery aisles all the way up to the appliances all the way up to no. the stuff you watch on tv hmm. all right i want to break free you can't i think you can you can't. The, mm. uh, we go. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. Something wants your attention every second of the day. It doesn't matter if you don't look at a TV and you don't look at a phone. Something wants your attention every second of the day. It will get to you at some point. You don't. You don't get. You can't get away from this. You could go off grid and not have a phone or a computer. Uh, but if you got pets and animals. Every moment of the day, you're being propagandized by the naturally. cows and the goats. Naturally. And the, naturally. Natural propaganda is okay. Okay. I don't know that... Um, I don't know that propaganda from corporate entities is in the same lane. Well, they're advertising to you to get you to buy something or consume something or watch something that they can make money off and you of. You can ignore that easily. I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode <laughs> of Meandering, episode 48. That's it. 48, that's it. That's all we got.
19 minutes record time. I don't even know that any of that will make the opening. Maybe this is the true opening right here. I don't know. I don't think I'd ever want to live off grid. I don't want to live. I don't want to live away from the internet. (laughs) It's got you. It does. It's sunk its teeth in. What is it about the internet that you like a lot? It's really just information. I, I don't, I mean, just being able to look up and browse goofy stuff. Do you think I mean, it's legitimately making you a an evolved being? In some some circumstances, sure. Do you think that the only way I'm makes... going to get exposed to certain things is by being able to seek that out? And if I have to go to a library, guess what? I'm not doing. I'm not seeking it out. If you were having a convert, <laughs> you're you're right. It, that comes down to. And crazy enough, I did go to the library fairly often. Mm-hmm. Um, it just. As a younger person, I mean, I enjoyed it, but when you start to think in today's world with the convenience of just flipping open something and not having to put, you know, a proper shirt on or pants on and you can just sit there and do whatever, uh, in the comfort of your own home. And you can search so many things without having to go back to the card catalog to find a you know, row and aisle and number. I enjoyed the, is on. the I mean, card catalog. I mean, it I tapped into it, my but... scavenger hunt mentality yeah. where I'm looking for something that may be in there. Now the internet says everything is here. Yeah. And so I'm training myself to like yeah. find searches that haven't been searched before. Things like that. Uh, or asking questions like the one tonight about the, the post office trucks <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the right side. I mean, if you ask 100 people, 50 of them are going to say, ah, it's because. 80 of them are going to tell you it's because of the mailboxes. And then 20 of them will tell you it's something to do with British car making or something. Which is 20 people would be accurate. (laughs) So if you were to have a conversation with your pre-internet self, it's not like you'd be talking to a primate, though. You wouldn't be talking to an unevolved, like, idiot. That's the thing that I can't get away from is pre-internet. I was saying a lot of this stuff that I'm still saying. No, but I'd be playing, I'd be playing a ton more video games. If I was not, I was a video game head from, for a long time. I wasn't working. I was playing a video game. If I was at a job where I could have a video game and still play it while I'm on the job, I'm playing the video game while I'm on the job. And now you're a useless trivia head based on searches from Google that you're looking up just for fun? Well, I was that way in high school. Just I, I don't know how or why. Probably. Hmm. I don't know. Does podcasting do something different as far as the information retention or the information dispension that is done compared to going online and reading a wiki page? When you hear one, two, three, four people informing you of something that I would hope this is how podcasts operate for the most part. They're informing you on factual information or an opinion that they've at least uh, grounded in some sense of reasonability or um, like. Um, I don't really listen to podcasts. Uh, I'll listen to a true crime podcast from time to time. Dr. Death is a recommendation for those out there that want to out a doctor here in Dallas. They want to get ready for year two of meandering. Yeah. Six episodes. It's, it's It's a good little little podcast. I like things like that from a podcast standpoint. I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to seek out political commentary. No, 
on a Me podcast, neither. I don't think. Why seek when you can do? And I'm not going to get my sports on a podcast because uh, the best radio station in the world, sports or any other, is right here in Dallas. And I'd rather just listen to the sports radio station. I so, get that philosophy. Um, so outside of that, um, like in, when I'm talking about some of my interests, I might listen to some disc golfers do a podcast maybe about disc golf. But sometimes that's really got to be more video related, you know. What if, if I'm talking about horse racing, man, there's only so much you can talk about from a podcast and a horse racing standpoint. What about the role in broadening your interests that podcasts could play, though? Like, where do your interests get broadened at this point in your life? See, for me, podcast really just kind of replaces radio, but uh, it, I, I would consume more from a television standpoint and a visual standpoint than from a podcast. Shows like, I mean, well, I mean... You know me, I'm a History Channel guy. Yeah. Um, I think they do a lot of good things. and uh, So I'd rather watch something on History Channel or a documentary by Kim Burns or something like that. Those even, are going to hit major topics. Those are going to hit big sure. things. There's a lot of smaller stories that are equally as important or can add... Um, mm, if they're equally as important, would they be smaller? Yes. No. Oh, as a UFO buff, you have to admit this being true. I mean, there are stories just as big as Roswell or Area 51 or theories of them that exist. The Phoenix Lights is one of them, even though that's like just a notch below Roswell, in my opinion. But even... I don't really seek a lot of that stuff out. No? Mm-mm. Man. Why? Why not? It's too many hoaxers. There's too many fake crap that you have to sift through. That's not fun to you? No. Not at all. Can you recognize? It's irritating. It's irritating, especially when it's not done well and it's clearly fake and there are people buying into it. That's irritating. Can you recognize, as my next question, you can recognize when something is a hoax on alien stuff? Not always. Some people are really good at what they do and and delivering a hoax. Hmm. Um, So I, I could be duped, absolutely. What does it take for you to not think that something is a hoax in the uh, ufo alien realm cooperating stories it's gotta be on history channel well i mean you gotta have something that comes along with it when someone starts it off by if you're hearing this then i must be dead or something stupid like that like they're releasing some secret that no one's ever heard before and it's such a secret that the government's going to assassinate you for daring to put this on the air. When I hear that, that just screams hoax big time to me. The opposite of that would be, what if that person was offed and never got a chance to make that, that statement? Well, it's amazing because every time you watch those things, Nothing compelling is really revealed at all. I, I feel it's like you're underhandedly old... bashing my Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind documentary recommendation not. on Tubi TV, narrated by Jeremy Piven. That's legit. It is. <laughs> uh, no, I'm saying that sometimes you, you run across these things and then you're thinking, oh, I've got something here. And then you waste two hours of your life and you're like, all of this is just like clips from other things I've seen on YouTube, and there's nothing new here. Why would anybody kill you for this? Right. <laughs> no, there, there's some merit to some of those things. There are some really, really... And it's the military stuff that draws me in, I think, more than anything. You know, it's really been on Ancient Aliens more than anything, but it's the one where... Um, 
you have a military base. I find base. it so interesting, though, that you invest so much uh, confidence in ancient aliens. They they work on mil- multi-million dollar budgets. And your criticisms with this little guy is that he's like trying to do his best with what he's got. And it just so happens that he's like, I hope the big guy doesn't kill me because of what I'm saying. Because he's not working on the multi-million dollar budget. But Ancient Aliens didn't start on a multi-million dollar budget. It started with a book by Eric Von Daniken and it was highly criticized. It, it, and it got picked up by a Disney-owned channel. We're talking something that's been in the making for 70 years. Yes. We're not talking about something that just made for TV. Here you go. You're right. Um, it's not but what it's same, turned but, into. But one of the alien stories that they have is the one with, with the alien counter with the U S air base in England. And it has all the symbols on the side of the thing. It, it's a real, I don't know the name of that specific story, but you got a couple of military guys that you know, have the same story. They talked to these guys. They took them out into the same area. Anyway, it's it's stuff like that that I put a lot more merit into than, you know, maybe Jim Bob, who was, a, you know, in his field at night and saw lights. Are we talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident? Probably. I think that's it in December of 1980. Perhaps. I thought it was earlier than that, but it might be December 1980. I just wish people wouldn't try to fool people, but you know, when you go Bigfoot's the same way, um, there are certain Bigfoot shows that I don't mind watching. And then there are other Bigfoot shows that I'm just like, it's so hokey and it's so bad and it's so fake. Why is anybody watching this garbage? Uh, and my wife makes fun of me for watching Bigfoot stuff. I, I like some ghost shows as well. Um, and you know, there's sometimes they'll have some stuff and I'm just like, this is so fake, but it's funny. And then there's sometimes you're like, well, that they might have something there, you know? There might be something to this. The ghosts? Yeah. Like what? Um, I don't know, is anything specific, but have you ever had a ghost encounter? No. Never had a ghost encounter. I've always I've had issue I've had some things happen where you're just like, what was that? Mm-hmm. But I, it, I guarantee you there was some other explanation for it other than ghost. I some people may be more tuned into it, it, that's an interesting thing anyway. Like, what is a ghost? Right. You know who? Like, there's enough mediums out there that maybe have enough input to where you go. There's probably something to that. But then again, man, some of that stuff you see on TV, it just seems just too set up. Yeah. And also the whole, if you drink your own Kool-Aid for so long, you can almost convince yourself that all of that is real and you can write a hundred books on it and you can be utterly convinced that it's real and it very well could be in your sense of reality and what it means. And no one's knocking that, but uh, it may not be applicable to everyone else. Um, So that's, that could be taken multiple ways. But yeah, I mean, I believe in spiritual existence uh, from outside of this 3d plane that we inhabit because i'm i'm not egomaniacal enough to say that we're the end-all be-all of existence on this planet when it comes to our lives i don't think our lives are a start an end or anything like that i think we're smack dab in the middle of a bigger uh bigger cosmic sort of thing going on there's some recent developments just this past week. I didn't even have time to send this to you, uh, but some neurological scientists are 
putting together a map of the brain, and they're just coming through on my as above, so below. Eric, check that off the big card. Um, <laughs> but literally in mapping the brain and, and putting it together, they're comparing it to the universe, and they're comparing just the look of it, the look of the electrodes, the look of the what happens when a certain brain cell pops off, a certain star supernova goes off. It's the same sort of light up and the same sort of frequency charge that explodes in the universe um, when you see a supernova. Or I may be getting too detailed now about the fine tuning. So really back, Sasha, and just start with the basics. The mapping of the brain and all of its tiny parts looks a lot like the universe. Man, there's a, a really good science channel show uh called you know how the universe works i think is what it is narrated by micro it's running right now on science channel but um it's a good series that talks about all kinds of things and you're right in a lot of ways i think there is a lot of correlation like and when you start to think about the expansiveness of what uh, you might call the known universe which is what we can kind of see yep uh, and you know that there's going to be a, a a large amount you can't see. And then when you look at where we're at on the small rock and this one branch of one galaxy. And it's just like, it makes you think like, what the hell is going on? It was, it was popular mechanics that released the... Uh, I thought they did cars. <laughs> not anymore. Oh. Not in 2020. They do everything. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sure there weren't the original uh, folks who came up with this, but... Astrophysicists and neuroscientists teamed up to compare similarities between the universe and networks of neurons in the brain. And despite the substantial differences in scale, of course, the two complex systems are strikingly alike. And uh, that takes me to the abstract, which is frontiers in physics. Uh, the, quantita the quantitative comparison between the neural network and the cosmic web. Uh, fresh data from Italy is what it appears. I mean, I wouldn't even mind going back and... And picking out specific episodes and that how the universe works and talking about some of those concepts because, man, they're really cool um, concepts. And, and here's what I like is like these guys will have these theories and they'll do take these pictures with these telescopes and do these different things. And, and it's, it's that sort of speculative theorization and then trying to prove or disprove it. That's the stuff that gets me going with. Uh, meandering space and uh, meandering yes absolutely yeah. because some of these things we've actually said on the show and we haven't expounded unfortunately because you know politics gets in the way sometimes um but the comparison of the mass of your brain being 25 percent uh or less and then the actual mass of your brain and then the rest of it being water it's very comparable to the planet itself um which in my theory is probably very comparable. We talked about this during the Price's Law uh, discussions that we had. I think if you do apply the as above, so below theory, that it works that way out there as well. And there's 25% um, of you know sol solid matter, and the rest of it isn't necessarily water, but maybe in space, darkness or blackness is water. I'm not sure. Antimatter. Yeah, antimatter. Or perhaps it just means that there's... Uh, a lot of inhabitable planets out there. 
Yeah, I, I that's contrary one of the to what we've always thought. It may be the opposite, and that seventy five percent of the worlds out there have life on them or some form of sustainable it may um, not ability. Be that many. Well, it could be that. It could Maybe, be, right? If there's a trillion If you're talking about there. life just being something like a, a single-celled animal sure. or, or you know, plankton or something along those lines, I think you're probably right for sure. If you're talking about something that is similar to us and what we think of as intelligence and all that good stuff, then, I, you know, <laughs> is that what we call less. it? Well, I'm just saying. I don't we're, know, We're, we're animals like... I don't Somebody know. Somebody might man. visit the planet and go, look at these cockroaches. This is going to be the bingo card episode because if you just go car chef scale, I donh, don't, yeah. I hey, don't know okay. that, I don't know that there are other uh, civilizations looking at us and saying, ah, oh, that's what intelligence well, looks what like. I meant from our perspective, sure. not their perspective. Our perspective is an interesting minor segue. I want to stay on this topic because I love this topic. But um, the do you, do you think that we could benefit greatly from being just uh, impacted by a higher civilization, whether it's whether it comes from within this planet, I think, or from the outside. Do you think that an alien force, for lack of a better phrase, could greatly improve everything on this planet? Probably, but that would probably also be wrong. You think so? Wrong. Yeah. Is that based on conditioning and what you've been led to believe like is wrong when it comes to force or forcing folks to evolve without having it just, you know, pan out? Well, what if it's never meant if, to pan out if, naturally? Well, I mean, when, when dealing with matters of the brain, how do we know that evolution is a natural progression and it doesn't actually get bumped along the way? Over time. Well, you wouldn't want it to be bumped by a, ne- a different species that comes to Earth. Even if because they had an understanding of er- the ins and outs of the human brain and how it functions at its current state, what its max out is. I think, I think it's dangerous okay. um, in a lot of ways for something like that to happen. I, you know, and maybe I am jaded a little bit just by the whole Star Trek thing, right? It's like it's not until, you know, man got to a certain level techno- technologically before, you know, other aliens made themselves known. known That's to, how the Carter scale works. Right. And, and so I think if, an a, if aliens made themselves known before we reached that progression as a planet, that might be a little dangerous. What is more dangerous, or what does dangerous look like in a world that looks like what it looks like right now? It could be even more chaotic. I mean, you know, unintentionally, you could create, you know, a bunch of followers to the aliens think that think they're gods, right? Which, unintentionally, yeah. But they wouldn't be gods. They would be under false. Uh, they, they would be under to false, you, but maybe not to pretenses. Others. Yeah. Well, that's always happened, though. Yeah. So what, how's it any different? Because we're more aware now. If aliens visited a tribe in the Amazon in the year 10,000 BC, mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal, right? But what if they actually did? Well, again, it's not that big a deal. You look at some of the biblical uh, canon. Well, and... If you look at pyramids, period, mm-hmm. you and where they're built and 
and how they're built and all that good stuff. Uh, I think you could say that there had to be some level of intelligent design for all these different societies to sort of build pyramids in very much the same way and in certain areas and facing, you know, the cardinal directions and whatnot. We discussed it on our episode of uh, our feature appearance on Mystical Moon Society in a much more specific light yeah. when we discuss the Anunnaki civilizations. But uh, I don't think it stops and starts with that term or that group or, or those folks. It may not, and they may have progressed people along, but... Human beings, if if we're building off of this discussion of the neural network being awfully similar to the galaxy network out there, what that leads me to believe is that our neural network is quite varying in potentiality. Because if the network up there is diverse and all over the place, that may explain some of our brain functionality as you can grasp more of your brain functionality you may be tested along the way with just having more brain power creates they say this all the time of people who overthink or think too much or think all the time or you or bookworms and read too much into things their minds go in millions of directions and to the onlooker that may seem a little uh, what's the, the word uh, hyperactive or all over the place. It's or, inconsistent. Yes, but it may just be them trying to make it consistent because mm-hmm. it's the or cards that they they've could been just dealt. be overthinking it. Well, it could be, it, you know, from a troubleshooting standpoint, since I'm more, most familiar with yeah, troubleshooting, right. Um, from a troubleshooting standpoint, when you approach a problem, I think there's, well, in in my experience anyway, for people who troubleshoot, there's two different styles usually. Uh, and there's one style that starts with the very basic. Uh, for example, like if the uh, lawnmower doesn't start, they check for gas. Uh, and then you go to the other end, which is the guy who thinks it's the, who starts off with the most difficult thing that it could possibly be. So they're You're changing me. Well, well, you just have to be on that side. <laughs> Uh, you know, where they, where they, you know, lawnmower doesn't start. They, you know, go to change the spark plugs and the oil and don't, they check the gas last, for example. Um, and so I think there's a couple of different approaches. I I just feel like, I don't know. I I may, I've always felt like everybody could troubleshoot in the same sort of manner or think the same way that I do. I feel like I think logically. In other words, I generally start off with the easiest stuff. I don't, you know, is there gas, you know. But certainly you have to be aware that because so many of the issues that I were that get resolved or resolved in those first few things, like, you know, in the first two or three steps, whereas if you attacked it from a hardest thing first standpoint and try to work your way backwards, do you not waste more time? But let me just add a little bit. And this isn't specific to the work that we both uh, Did. did. This is just in general. If you make it as hard as you possibly can, do you not umbrella all of the lesser difficult things along the way if you're meticulous enough? No, I don't think so. I think you get lost. Because typically the hardest thing to troubleshoot takes the most time uh, to resolve, to fix. And so 
but you skip over all the stuff in the beginning or all the smaller little things, maybe because that person assumes that that's already working. Like they make an assumption right off the top of the bat that it can't be this, you know, and so they don't check it. I think it's got to be frustrating for those types of people to, I know it's frustrating when, uh, for like my wife, for example, when she's been hassling with something for 30 minutes and calls me in there and I, and I point it out in 30 seconds, I know that's frustrating. She tells me that it's frustrating. And, and now sometimes when I get called, it's like, I need you to come take a look at something, but uh, I don't want to hear it. I just want you to just tell, point out what it is and then leave the room, please. And I'm like, well, I don't quote. Let me add just a tiny bit there because, okay, I am a, in my own words, a complex thinker. Yeah, as you're pointing to the mixing board, you son of a gun. I am a complex thinker, which is why when faced with a simple issue, and my wife tells me this all of the time, she says, what I'm saying to you is so simple. Why do I need to repeat it? (laughs) Like you haven't heard that. I hear it all the time. Okay. Then, sorry, sir, you're a complex thinker as well. Uh, Or it's just the differences between men and women's brains. But the complex thinking is what I am attuned for primarily. So when I'm faced with a, a, a situation that has a simple resolution, I do look at the most difficult situations first. And I often don't get to the simple solution if I don't have adequate time to do it. So... I will agree with you here. If time is an issue and a constraint, like at a job, for example, where you have a certain allotment of uh, set time that you need to dedicate to figuring out the problem, working from the ground up, perhaps. But in life, I don't know that we're under a time crunch when it comes to fix uh, or to resolving some of the longest standing questions that we've had or theories that we've had, I think you can start super abstract there. I don't think you can. Well, if you're talking about an idea, you can start to talk about an idea in in that way. But if you're talking about a problem and you're fixing it, I still think you got to go from the ground up. I don't think you can go from the top down. You got to, I think, I think to understand from the top, you got to understand how it built from the bottom. And I don't know that you get a clear picture when you just jump into the top without. Isn't that where experience comes into play? Isn't experience from the ground up? It can be. Absolutely, it can be. But your experience, though, may lead you down the wrong path. But who's to say it's the wrong path? Well, when it comes to if if you're a problem solver and you've got 10 years of experience in problem solving. It's going to take the guy who's been problem solving for 20 to say, yeah, wait a second, wait a second. You're a little off there. Or let me help you out there. Experience is a weird thing. It's, it's not like, it's why the internet isn't so great anymore for me is because like, I can't see that transparent level of, of who I'm talking to. So I have no idea what their track record is on what they're talking about or anything like that. I have no no reason to believe a single word they're saying unless I know them or unless they're a, f- a figure that I've read words from or I've heard on a podcast or seen on TV or whatever, which is unfortunate because I think there's a lot of real people out there, a lot of real citizens that just don't have a an amplified enough voice but are more of a voice of reason that the people were, were shoveled in our ears and in, in front of our eyes. But to go back to to my point, 
that I was making. I think experience is a weird one where you have to actually just be confident in yourself that you have it. Yeah, but you can't rely on the outside though, world to tell you you're experienced in theory. Well, experience is dangerous okay. um, in a, in some ways because it will give you a false confidence at times that you know where you need to go with something or you stop listening completely to a whole problem or thought or idea. And so you only hear the parts that you, you only hear certain parts and then that agree you, with you. Well, confirmation bias is what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe you you hear you hear one or two key words in a sentence, and you immediately jump to this because your experience has taught you that 90 percent of the time, this is what this is. Uh, But for me, I I don't. I want to be cautious that 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 this might be that 10 percent time, and and so I think I think you run into this sometimes in customer service when you're dealing uh, when you have an issue, right? that people hear one or two words that you're saying and they just, they, their experience tells them that it's, that it's usually this, but in your situation, it's not that, you know? And so you end up with this bad customer service experience because the person with experience listening to the problem had too much confidence in thinking. And then they assume that you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, or, or it works even more slantedly when you're dealing with someone who's in a position, a higher position uh, in the realms of customer service where they'll say, you know, I've been a manager for X amount of years and you're just like a representative at the time or you're whatever your position is, doesn't necessarily sway the seesaw in um, that person's favor. At least I'm working off of my experience in customer service where I'm like, I've been trained to resolve your issues, sir. You're calling me for help. I don't, I don't understand why why you're offering a suggestion for what you think the problem is if you're asking for assistance and figuring it out. I do I do find like teamwork making sense, but but when someone um in the customer service realm tells you that well this is where you got to tread careful. This is where experience matters. Yes, if I'm doing something blatantly incorrect in trying to resolve their issue, I would want them to say, "Hey, wait a second, that's not right." But if I'm doing something that they disagree with uh, or something that they weren't trained in that way and I'm introducing them perhaps to a a new problem resolution concept, they got to give me a chance in that realm. That's a loaded statement. But what I mean is if I take protocol and I take the experience and the tutelage that I've received and just incorporate it into a unique approach of problem resolving what's wrong with that i'm I'm tapping into this for a reason because you and i have had similar conversations behind closed doors long ago what do you mean uh well i'm i'm not i don't want us to talk about work specific things right but i'm trying to draw the comparison of the the talks that you and i have had about similar things now in the realm of business it may not be applicable because you do have to I had to learn this the hard way. You do have to listen to the people who have more business experience in well, the field that you are representing to gain you know, you, knowledge. You, yeah, I mean, you know. But we're talking we're working, about working in, in customer service nearly my whole life. Mm-hmm. My experience has been that, you know, when there's an issue, it is usually the customer that has brought the issue upon themselves. Yeah. 
in most cases. But it doesn't mean you treat them like they're dumb. Uh, it doesn't mean that you discount them or think what they say is not true. Who right? does that? It's just about everybody, right? Has this picture that the person doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, well, now it's them do. just a sheep calendar. Yeah, well, some of them do, some of them don't, right? Um, like, go back to my hotel days and some of the the issues that you would come across in a hotel. And it's just like, it, sometimes it just becomes... Uh, I don't want to admit I'm wrong, so I'm just going to stick to my guns, and that's just annoying in so many ways. It's I've been there. I've I've been that person that realized I was wrong and wasn't about to admit it to this customer who I felt like was going to be an a-hole to me, so I start quoting policy or something goofy like that to them to make sure I'm right. But in the end, it's not a good customer experience. experience. Yeah. And I, you know what did I learn? I'm an idiot, and I, you know, I hope most people are self-aware to go, you know, what? I made a mistake. For a fragment of time. And I think that's the most important part for people to get over themselves when they're wrong is that it's momentary. It doesn't mean you're wrong all the time. It doesn't mean you're going to be wrong all the time. It doesn't mean the next thing that comes into your your realm of existence, you're going to blunder or be incorrect. It just means for a tiny moment... (laughs) You were wrong. And uh, again, we get back to the internet. It's hard not to, or I get back to the internet. It's hard not to in this case. The internet, at least up until now, I think Twitter's doing a decent job. Social media specifically doesn't do a good job of telling you when you're wrong. No, it doesn't. And there should be clear black and white, right, wrong at this point with internet language. But nothing's black and white, Uh, right? Everything's got truth. Online can be right and wrong, I think, at this point. Political commentary. um, I I, I think, well, see, when you're talking about opinions, though, mm -hmm. and there is no fact, where do you go or how do you start with that? Data-driven? But that's what I'm saying is it could go one way or another. Uh, It's hard to to be black and white. I don't want to talk about the election. Okay. It's it's hard to be black and on on certain things, it's hard to be black and white. When something's historical that happened, I think it's much easier to be black and white. Damn, you really do? Yeah. That's dangerous, isn't it? That you can say that about history because it invests so much confidence in the way that we understand and digest history as being like uh, unmanipulated. We, We view history as some sort of sanctimonious, like nothing can steer me from what happened in the record books but science does that naturally by by proving it to us year in year out granted they're building off of previous theories but science is wrong about almost everything that's their goal what do you mean uh scientific discovery scientific understanding that doesn't have anything to do with history but history says it's right all the time which to me is like let's pick out countering Let's pick out um, a specific, specific historical. Event. I don't. I, I always do go Holocaust. back. Okay, because I always go back to biblical stuff when it comes to this, because I, well, I think that's a, that's I, the I, most difficult one to, well, to discuss. So anything that happened pre, I don't know, nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm. There's probably debate on right, wrong, uh, on or right, wrong, or what really happened, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, maybe you go anything that happened, say before seventeen hundred. I don't know. Printing press. You know, more and more as people kept records and. Uh, that sort of thing, and, and you were starting to become a more global 
uh, things were becoming more global. So you had more people involved with discussion or, or seeing something happen. I I think at that point, so when you go way back 2000 years ago, I, I, you know, you're really relying on the people who wrote it down, which in, in a lot of cases were the people who won or on the winning side of something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. But the losers of then, or not the losers, that's harsh, the um, the less powerful or the people who uh, were suppressed or oppressed, can't we, can't we jump to present day and take a look at the voices of the oppressed that we have now and see that not much I has changed? No, you can't. So you can't. You can't like draw a comparison from then to now as no. far as what could have really been going on then is probably still really going on now. No. No, there's no way you can compare people today to people who lived 2,000 years ago. There's no way. Why? It's just too different. Society, technology, everything is just too different. Way too different. I mean, some of the basic needs may have been the same, but it's too different. The way people were treated, it's too different. Give me an example. Um, the way women were held, uh, you know, what what their role was. What they, was their role 2,000 years ago? Well, it depends on what society you're in. In um, If you're in Roman, if you're in Rome. Yeah, let's I, go to Rome. You know, unless they're high born or married to somebody who's, Holds a high position, they're pretty much nothing, right? Mm-hmm. They're there to bear children. Mm-hmm. Not have an opinion, not work. How's that changed in Western culture, uh, specifically to the primitive mentality that inhabits this country right now? Meaning uh, the people that there's a large amount of people that still see women that way. Oh, I know. I know there was a CNN guy who commented about the Republican woman, uh, how she's only where she is because of who she married. Yeah. It's not just that there's, uh, husbands who impregnate their wives with four five, six kids and stick them at home and say, take care of the kids, cook dinner. And this is your life for the next 40 to 50 years without giving the woman very much choice. Shit. There's, politics well, built around I would tell you the right don't. to uh whether or not a woman has the right to make a decision with her own body or with uh, yeah. that none of this has changed it's just contextually different it's it's vastly different women have a much stronger role in our society than ever before are you kidding me it's vastly different women you're can talking here's that vi- you're yes. saying in 2000 years it went from 99% of the people thinking this way to 9% of the people t- thinking that way it's uncomparable it's not the same those people who really think that women be- belong in a kitchen pregnant and cleaning the house they were and wrong kids, then and they're wrong now uh, well they may have been sure they're wrong then and they're they're wrong now they but were, i mean they just hadn't figured it out that right. they were wrong that came with time or experience, right? Or, or society. I mean, I, I would argue that or aliens that <laughs> could that, have been aliens. That women in in perhaps a, a Viking society were probably a little more sure stronger or powerful. Um, History Channel taught me that too. <laughs> so I, I think, depending on the society, you probably had uh, you know powerful women. Golly, I don't know if gender was the right. 
um, probably not avenue I wanted to take this comparison. I guess what I was talking about was more of in general the flux of events that the human species goes through. The cyclical repetition of, of historical moments being just looking different based on the day and age that we live in now, but internally there's something inside of our I guess this matters if if or, or this is pertinent if you believe in something like a, a soul or a spirit or DNA sequences passing down uh, through ages that we're faced with we're faced with a redundancy in the issues that have been always here because we haven't been able to figure them out and we, get move on from them. Well, that takes thousands of years. That and here just we are, two thousand years yeah. later. So. So you're almost agreeing with the fact that some of the issues that were still around, if they are still around, are around because it's it takes completely thousands different. of years. It's of course it's it looks different. different. So what are you trying to com- get to a point here? Because <laughs> you're just beating around the bush without saying anything specific to actually dive into or talk to. Well, I'm not specific- on your randomized level right okay. here. I'm with this conversation about what you're talking about. You're telling me you can take something from oppressed people today and you can understand what the oppressed people 2,000 years ago were Who are the oppressed people 2,000 years ago? Well, you tell me. If this we, is your theory. If we stick it directly in biblical context, who were the oppressed people in... Jewish uh, people. Okay. Were uh, Israelites. Sure. Okay. And then Exodus. And then the rallying of millions of people to escape the bondage that they were in. Okay. okay. Have we not seen that on a minor scale with some of the um, ethnic difference in ethnic backgrounds here in the Western in the Western world over the last three hundred years? Have we not? We haven't seen like a Moses-like character. Well, that's arguable. Uh, we've seen some folks in the past rally, cry, and say, "You guys got to break free of the tyranny of antiquated." like slave driven mentalities. We've seen some of that. I don't, I'm still not following. Um, in this planet, on this planet, in this time, in this timeline, I, I, I don't su- think we get to experience any of the stuff we want to see. I might suggest to you that any society, any city, there are people above and there are people below mm-hmm. and there are people who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it matters what year it is. Okay. The people that were above back in the day, were they really above? You're telling me the guy that crucified Christ was above Christ if I'm believing that all that happened? You're saying Pontius Pontius, uh, Pilate and the Romans were above the Son of God? If I'm just working off history, (laughs) these Romans, the politicians, were above the Son of God? If I'm just working off of— Why would the Son of God be above anyone? Uh, okay, <laughs> don't throw that. I'm talking about societally speaking. What what drove the politicians and the lawmakers to saying we have the right to ignore everything the quote unquote son of God is saying, and we're going to stick him on a cross for X amount of days and let him rot? Was it the influence that he was having? What was it? Is that what do we do I'm today? Sure it was all about influence. Okay, what do we do to people it, today it that was have, probably his rivals mm-hmm. who weren't necessarily the Romans that got him where he was. His rivals that got him to where he was. You mean there were other 
He wasn't, he wasn't the only one Messianic preaching. figures yeah. in his timeline. Yeah. You're telling me that was unchecked and he was the only one talking that way? In Come his on. timeline? Yeah, in his timeline, in his city, in his town, in his sphere of influence. He's the only one. Who was talking that way? And there was no jealousy among any of them. God, which I is, hope there wasn't. Oh my God. Well, there yes, was. There with, was. I mean, it was historically. Backstabbing, if the story's true. If the story's true. But what if that part of the story's not true? Because that part of the story creates dissension, right? Meaning, if, you, if you're if you raised on, and this is where I really like dissecting the Bible, and I love dissecting the mis- what could be misinformation, what couldn't be. What do people try to pull a fast one on you now with, comparatively? This This is what I was leading up to all along, to be honest. You can get to what's real and what's true about those stories by looking at this, what we have presented to us today, because the ideology hasn't changed very much from above and below. Well, you like movies, so... I love movies. Life of Brian, this is what you gotta watch. This is the one I gotta watch? After everything I just said, Monty Python is gonna sum it up for me? Absolutely. All right. Brian's Jesus, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I say this a lot. The masses and what they do, the blob and what it does, is usually a strong indicator of like what you want to stay away from. Not because, always. Well, just take a look at the last year, for example. If the masses are running out and, I and think grinding though, away and denying a, a virus and okay. they're coming down. But what you're looking at is not the masses and you're not looking at the mob. You are looking at a very small portion of people that are getting an overwhelming amount of attention. And then you start to apply that to 70 million people, but it's not 70 million people. It's 5 million people. It's 10 million people. And so you got to be really careful here because you are being presented in a way that it is the mob and it's half of America that's doing this, but you're really truly only seeing a certain amount of people that are doing it. Well, what I would say to that is, when I round the corner of my home and I go to rent a movie and I see a two mile line of people in my immediate environment that getting a COVID test. Yeah. Oh my God. They must be part of the mob and all Trump supporters because they're getting COVID tests. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to go to politics for this. And I forgive me if you thought I was infusing any political uh, bias into this at all. What's the mob doing getting tests? Why is that so bad that you have a line around a clinic to get tested? For oh, because they wouldn't need to get tests if they weren't out mobbing. If they weren't steady mobbing, they wouldn't need tests. Are you a member of the mob? Well, how about you tell that to the rest of the whole world? Because the whole world is mobbing and the whole world is getting tested and the whole world is getting COVID. It's not just your little area of fucking Dallas. Quarter of a million people have died in America from coronavirus. Okay. I don't know. It's that less than one point something percent of the entire population. I think it's around one percent, actually. No. Well, if there's 250 million people in the there's U.S., there's like 400 million people oh. in the U.S. So yeah, grown since the last I checked. I guess. No, you're you're right. There probably are 400 million people. See, I tell you, the simple stuff. Where I need to me. have my computer turned on. So you don't need your computer you. turned on. U.S. population is 328, so we're both off, and it's right in the middle of 250 and 400 million. Right smack dab in the middle. 
Uh, so yeah, it's a little under one percent. Well, twenty twenty census hasn't come out yet. We're not too concerned with newborns getting COVID. Still, <laughs> this is a good thing. I don't know. Schools, some young kids are getting COVID. Yeah, but we're not concerned with the kids getting COVID, or we would have never opened the schools in the first place. We're concerned with the kids spreading COVID to high-ranking businessmen who make their companies go. That's why. That's why lockdowns here are clamping down full force is because I guarantee you there's a percentile of the percent that's come down with it or even passed on that are important figures in the ranks of revenue and business in this country. I mean, it's clear to see that if some politicians are getting it within the administration or uh, some even notable senators that are coming down with it, it's having an effect that is no longer uh, deniable by the above, so to speak. So when when it's not, I mean, not that it was when the president came down with it, but he was still, you know, he could still sway the direction of the rhetoric. I think when 180 people in your Secret Service entourage come down with it, multiple senators and everybody's forcibly removed anyways from doing their job, then it's better to just throw the white, wave the white flag at that, at that point, throw in the towel. Because what are you really going to do? Like if, if some of these people that have been so heavily in denial that this is a thing we need to worry about and the economy is more important, if some of those people come down with it and they're removed from their platform, I guess, of, of being right or their platform of, of this is where the opinions being right and wrong, you can sort of tap into it by letting time prove whether or not we've done it here. We do it on this show. If you and I have a grandiose, bold statement to make, we'll make it and we'll both come to the assertion that we'll kind of just let time dictate what happens. And, and if I'm wrong, those are sort of predictions. That's not really. But that's what right opinions are. Opinions aren't predictions. Yes, they are. No, they're not. But they can't be anything See, more. People have so to realize let's that. Let's go back to your assumption that everybody getting a test is part of the mob. Mm-hmm. None of those people could just be average everyday people like you or I who went to a wedding a few weeks ago or had to attend a funeral because a close family member died. They couldn't be part of that. They're part of the mob that's rallying or at the bar. I see a lot of people that probably are being forced to work. Okay. So it is a broad. People being forced to work. Okay. Well, if you're making minimum wage and your rent is $800 and you're a sole provider, yeah, your options are go to work, get sick, get in the COVID line, or don't go to work, make 60% of your wages with no bonuses from unemployment, and hope that you make it through because the government's give you giving you 1200 bucks in the last eight to deal with this. I know, right? I mean. I feel for them, but. I don't know that businesses are having big problems with employees getting sick right now. I feel like that would be news, and I would see that on my nightly news. That oh, the are local all these, McDonald's. So blah, all these blah, people blah. don't work anywhere. Well, they may hundred thousand tests that come back positive every day. Are these people that just don't they could work be people that work remotely, just like we do? I'd like to see the data on this. I mean, Why can't we see the data on this? Uh, they probably don't keep track of where you work and all that stuff. But certainly there's an algorithm that because can it, attach your name you know, and your Some people might just be paranoid and just go get the test because they want to get the test because they're paranoid. 
Yes, but there are 100,000 plus positive tests coming back every day, and they've been coming back for about three weeks, and we're in we're the middle of November. We're also testing more than we've ever tested before. Yes, of course. But there are 100,000 new cases a day mm-hmm. with COVID. I want to know where those people are getting COVID from, because doesn't that make sense? To shut the shit down as to where they're getting COVID, if you could figure out where the 100,000 cases are creating themselves Well, how are you going to shut down weddings or funerals? Cause shut those, them down. Those all seem to be very big super spreader events. Shut them down. It, it ain't that hard. I would have felt a lot more confident if they'd shut down my brother's wedding and said, hey, you're not going to the wedding, which so it just so happens one of his buddies came down with COVID two weeks after the wedding. It wasn't wedding related or anything like that. But to the point where my brother had to go in, James, we'll talk to him about this next time he's on the show. He got tested, tested negative two times before he stepped foot in my house last week to give me a birthday present. But even then. I wore a mask. I stuck a mask on my daughter with my own brother in my own home, and I stuck a mask on him, too, because I don't trust the tests 100%. Uh, I mean, I still believe that false positives and false negatives can occur here and there, so I wasn't willing to hedge any bets. But my brother came in, and he didn't even have contact with the guy who uh, came down with it. But what had happened, and this is his story to tell, but I'll paraphrase to a certain degree, we all went to a wedding. For him, one of his best men, his groomsmen, was there, no symptoms at all. Two weeks later, he tests positive for COVID, asymptomatic, healthy guy. They work at different arenas, but my brother's manager said, isn't this uh, one of your friends who just tested? And he said, yeah, it is. Well, we're going to have to test you just because. And so they tested him multiple times, and he came back negative, and then he comes here, and then I stick him in a mask anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's data. I mean, my brother provided me with data that I would think the medical establishments that are testing CVS or any other drugstore out there testing, not concerned where you got it. CVS is not doing this on their own. CVS is being funded and being provided a substantial amount. But they're not going to be data collectors. They're not. Then they what don't the hell care. Are they doing? They, I need your insurance, sir, and I need your name, and that's What does it? a test do with someone? What does it help them with? What does a test do for people at this point? It tells you whether you have it or not. <laughs> I mean, right? But who cares about that? If we're not doing anything with that knowledge, who cares? Is it is it all media-driven then? Well, if you if you have it, then that then you have it, then you go and you put them in quarantine, right? But if we so if we don't do that and we don't put them in quarantine, then we're just creating a bigger problem. Why? That's herd immunity. I'm all for herd immunity. <laughs> all for it. Let's herd it up and let's go ahead and all get this and let's just fucking beat well, it's it. It's gonna take a while because only one per I, I think uh, ten million cases in this country at this point, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Let me look that up. So like eleven sure. million. U.S. population is three hundred twenty-five million, and the current COVID COVID count. And by the way, happy birthday. Who? COVID. Mm. Uh, one year anniversary of us hearing about it officially was today. The first COVID case came in mid-November. I don't think it was diagnosed until, and, and called something different until January. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. It was a uh, unknown flu-like virus at this point last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Uh, there's an article that talks about it being in Italy in September of 2019. Yeah, which is very interesting. I'll have to check that one. COVID cases in the U.S. total 11.6 million, 250,000 deaths. So third wave looks pretty pretty gnarly. I'm I'm basing my wave assessment based on actual yeah, we, wave patterns. Yeah. yeah. Well, one might say that it's not really gone away. Yeah, and that it. What does it look like right now? It looks like I'm trying to sum up like the visual of what the covid wave from start to where it's well at. if you're trading in cryptocurrency or stock it's it looks pro- like bitcoin it, it's probably something that looks like bitcoin and, and you're probably looking at it going time to sell <laughs> i might hold it a little longer but it might be time to sell it because it's going to come back down oh and you then think I'll buy this it is again. going back down well, it will go back down eventually. Yes. We haven't even hit flu season yet in this country, sir. But where is it, but isn't flu season going to be way less because we're all wearing masks and we're all socially distanced? Nobody Why would flu season be the same? A hundred thousand plus people a day aren't doing that. <laughs> these are the people that would be. You're assuming the, that they've taken no response. Here you go again, making these mass assumptions that they're not taking responsibility. That they're not being responsible. I I believe, sir, that people can catch COVID. By being completely 100% responsible in their behavior or their uh, deal. This right, isn't. Okay. I'll, I'll, this, side, I'll side with you there. Do you think how many people out of the 100,000 daily cases are responsible in avoiding COVID? Give me a percentile or give me an. I, I would say it's under 5%. I would say it's way more than that. I would say 5 It's probably 50 I wish we could figure that out. That's why we need to know where the people are getting it from. Because if the guy is getting it from going to a rally, a political rally, irresponsible. If the guy's getting it from going to a large venue with more than 100 people, irresponsible. If the guy's getting it from going to a party that was picked up on infrared from local law enforcement the week before, irresponsible. They're like, we need to come up with a list. I don't have them all ready to go. I don't have the list of like irresponsible COVID activities that could get you COVID versus responsible behavior that could get you COVID. I think some of what I do on a daily basis may be irresponsible when the wave looks like this. Um, I think wearing a mask lessens that level of irresponsibility, but still. I think inviting my brother over after a friend tested positive could be deemed irresponsible. Yeah. It's little things like that. Well, where I think where a large part of the irresponsibility comes from is when they get their test at their local drugstore, what do they do after they take the test? Yeah. That's where responsibility comes in. In some of these cases, do they go home? Do they self quarantine until they find out what it is or do they go to a restaurant? Or do they go back to work? Or the, go back to work. The absolutely. people that were forced to, the people that get this at work because you don't like this uh, phrase that I'm about to use, but the people who were forced to go to work and got it at work in a factory, uh, in places where you have to share close space, close space with folks, and that's where this virus thrives. If their livelihood was on the line beforehand, and then they get it, and then they tell their boss they get it, does the boss just let him go? No, they go home. Okay. Why would the and they boss get just time off? Go? Well, they get time off, right? Yeah. They don't have to come into work. So why was the boss forcing them to come in and risk being one of these numbers in the first place? Oh, he's not. I, I see. You're right. He's not. They have a choice. Make zero dollars or make very small 
dollars. Well, I mean, holy crap, man! There, everybody is hiring right now. I yeah, mean, in El Paso, everybody. they'll pay you two bucks an hour to move the dead bodies around. <laughs> I don't think there's that many. They hire prisoners apparently, so there must oh. be a decent amount. Prisoners getting paid two bucks an hour to move all the dead bodies in El Paso. You, uh, you don't have to. I'll ask you. I'll just ask you. See, I'm getting better. You don't have to do this. You don't have to agree <laughs> with this. Would you say that things are as bad as they seem, worse, or not as bad as they um, seem? They're as bad as they seem. They're just as bad. Yeah. Okay. Would it be, would it strike you as strange if I said, I think they're a lot worse than they seem? No, that's you. Okay. Do you think I'm right on this? No. <laughs> this is perception. This isn't something you could be right or wrong about. Goes back to how you're proven right or wrong. How do we prove whether we're right or wrong on this show? How can you prove it's as bad as it seems versus it's worse than it seems? What's proof that it's worse? What's proof that it's not worse? See, this is, this is it, not a it, right or wrong thing. How does it feel when you go out and you're turned off to the narrative on whether it's bad? Because if you watch media, they'll say it's bad, terrible. It's worse than the numbers give it justice and we need to shut everything down. I don't, know, to, I don't hear the media saying we need to shut anything down. Oh, you don't hear the media doing that? I do not. I think the media plays a large role in states and the pressure on states to shut their economies down, which we're starting to see. The media is just reporting the news. There there might be somebody who makes an opinion from the news, but... You can't be naive to not think that... uh, You can't be. (laughs) That there are affiliations. You don't think there's handshakes, there's narratives that can be pushed from government to media back and forth? You don't think they, they work hand in hand? No, they don't. They get some of these politicians every day to show up on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and they don't get paid to do that? Uh, not paying appearance fees. Andrew Yang doesn't... I know I know he's not an active politician. Andrew Yang doesn't receive income from CNN? I don't think so, unless he's a correspondent. Show. I don't believe they pay him appearance fees. I mean, there's no benefit to CNN to pay him to go on there. Andrew Yang's followers aren't flocking to go watch him on CNN. Now, the benefit is that he gets exposure, so Andrew Yang would do it for free just for the exposure on CNN. But I don't think CNN would pay Andrew Yang because I don't know that that's that's how that works. I think the reason that I can't prove to you that I'm right about things being as bad as they are in my perception, which honestly, honestly is just based on <laughs> if things were terrible right here <laughs> and, and this isn't worse than this. No one hasn't said that. That's not what you asked. Oh, you said, are things as bad as they seem or are they worse than they seem? That chart doesn't prove or didn't or disprove that. How bad were things here? Not that bad. In April of, uh, sorry for context, I'm pointing. That's April. Yeah. You sure about that? Yeah. Okay. 
For context, I'm pointing at the map, which you can just do COVID cases in the U.S. on Google, and you'll get a visual right off the bat. And it'll just show you a visual of the case counts. And again, this is just case counts. Well, again, that is in the beginning. That's everybody learning this. There's a lot of fear to that. How bad were things when there was a lot of fear to it? Well, the perception was really bad. But in in hindsight, it wasn't that bad. You don't. Why, think, why do you think everybody went out of their way to just blow up and do whatever the hell they wanted two months after that? It's not because it wasn't bad. It's because it wasn't it, bad yes. enough for them. But that's a majority of people. But that's because it hadn't saturated. But you showed us, you showed Miguel and I the map last week of what it looks like in the U.S. now as far as COVID is concerned. Yeah, where all the in, hot spots are. In April, it didn't look like that. So if somebody is visually trained to say, that right there. How about that? Look? It did look like that. It just looked like that in different areas. I disagree because we've been on record talking about the level of saturation of the virus itself. There's no way it, it you you thought it did. But in hindsight, you can see that that was an incorrect assessment. It wasn't probably here. Well, okay. It could have been here, but it wasn't saturated. Well, we'll never know. <laughs> okay. Let me reel this back real quick. This is worse than as bad as number of The number of cases are worse. Remember when we were talking about the number of cases almost playing catch-up to and and being way behind and the fact that we were getting... We're also testing it 100 times more now than we were then. Okay. Maybe even 1,000 times more. So, so isn't th- shouldn't there be an expectation you will have more cases just simply based on the number of tests you're doing? Yeah, that, that doesn't make things me feel any better. I, I if we could that, test it, everybody tomorrow, I bet you we'd feel shitty. I doubt it. If you could test 300 million people all tomorrow all at once and 160 million come back positive, what does the fear level go to then? It goes to even less. Really? Yes. Because if, if half the of way us I, already have it, let me tell you, th- then, then we're done. We already have it. Let's go. No, I hold back. Let's go. <laughs> because this is a game of tag. And in tag, you're not, you're not trying to get tagged. This is a virus. That, that is, that is not that deadly. You. Okay. That I get it. It can kill certain people, but in the grand, this is what I was talking about back then. You can only hold people down for so long before they go, fuck it. I don't care if I get it. I'm going to do what I want to do. That doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them right, but it doesn't make them wrong. I think as time extends, it does. In what way? It, it doesn't matter what they did. It does not matter what they did. Europe is proving that right now. doesn't matter what you did in April. doesn't matter what you did in May. Doesn't matter what you did in June or July or August. You're sp- everyone is spiking right now in November. Didn't matter what the politicians were saying. That's didn't matter. You had people. Didn't matter what rules you put in place. It didn't matter. Period. Everybody's spiking again now. Because you always had people that were doing the opposite of what was being asked of them to do. They kept these little rules going. Um, Europe. Everybody he was praising Europe left and right. Look at they're doing it the right way. Yeah, but you they look closed at the entire country down. And now they're having the same spike we're having. But you see people in Europe in every major city revolting against now the Now they are, absolutely. They because weren't doing it the first time because they were fear driven or they were scared of the unknown. Any, 
Yeah. Any, okay. Anytime anything's in, once people start realizing scared. it's not going to really, you know, your chances of dying aren't that great. That's it. People go. That's all yeah. it takes. That's all it takes. Okay. What if your chance of dying goes up? But we know it's not because it How hasn't gone up. How do we know? It hasn't gone up. Wouldn't it have gone up in the eight months of data? Wouldn't the rate of death gone up if it no, was getting worse? No, your season effects matter a great deal. The taxing on your immune system matters a great deal. If you caught my – damn it, you're not, you're not giving my personal theories over the course of these discussions enough merit. What if you get it in April and then you get it in September? Nobody knows Again, what that does to a healthy person. Well, no one even knows that you could, that that will happen or that it's even possible. It is possible. To I mean, it's possible. We've had one exactly one, one confirmed reinfection, reinfection oh, and it happened within a month of the first infection. So was he really reinfected? That that is a complete one hundred percent unknown. I think Boris Johnson cannot, just got reinfected. That you, that you cannot pull into you. You cannot take one half of one half of one half of percent of the thing and apply that to that this is going to happen to everyone. I mean, you can if the thing just pans out and can reinfect. Okay, what would but reinfection? So, so, but wouldn't wouldn't at the amount of infection we've had over eight months, if reinfection was a huge deal, a huge deal that was really going to heavily affect us, would that we would not already have seen that in eight months? You're telling me no, we wouldn't seen have seen reinfection in eight months. No, I'm just looking based on the graphs. If you're locked, okay. When were we locked down in this country? Uh, or we weren't basically really mid March until June. June, okay. So if that is what actually leads to your plateau here, which it appears so, you just said mid March to June. So mid March is kind of the onset of this. We had a handful of cases. So you plateau from. I'm just going off of this COVID cases in the U.S. Google that, and then under the All tab, you'll get the same chart we're looking at right now to follow along. So April 4th, you hit a plateau all the way to mid-June. Everybody says, okay, we're good. Then you get a tiny thing, just a tiny little uptick. But I remember the temperature in June. Well, actually, we recorded episodes in June, and we were talking about it. Nothing was too, like, crazy or, or like, oh, my God, it's terrible. It's it's getting terrible. You become used to it. Okay, right. Then you plateau. You even go down a little bit as the fall approaches. Now everybody's like, ah, we're we're way over this. That is a false opinion. Because you look at what has occurred in the last two months, and you can see what the incorrect perception of what is going on leads to. I I believe what you're seeing is a direct correlation with the starting of school. Do you think it's all, that's all school-driven? Yes. Why can't we figure that? Why can't we get the data on that? How many kids are testing positive? Why can't we even see that? I don't know. Dallas County used to tell you how many kids tested positive. And now it's just gone. Mm-hmm. So there, there's your answer. I, I think it directly correlates with the start of school. And maybe kids aren't the one that's getting it, but the kids are spreading it. For sure. Do you think spreading, or I'm sorry, do you think a shutdown of schools would cripple the economy and that's why they're uh, straying away from that? Well, you know, oddly, some of these schools are paid based on the kids that attend to the school, yeah. which is weird uh, to think about. Why are you paying them based on the kids that are there? It just doesn't make any sense at all. 
Um, but more so than that, like uh, parents who work outside of the house who but, need their kid in school. If you just say, right, hey, all for, of a sudden. For par- well, parents are tired of their damn kids having to be around them all through April, May, June, July, August. You know, they're ready to send them away and get a break. And so when school came, hey, you need to go to school, kiddo. And I, you know, well, I, I, and yes, you're also playing into the whole thing of, well, it's not really spiking and everybody's just getting comfortable doing what they want to do. And I mean, it's just the way people are. Just well, it doesn't look like the way are. people are is going to work anymore. What do you mean? I, I once, just the va- once a vaccine hits in the next six months, it, most of this is essentially over. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I, I just... That is contingent on, yeah, this is a weird statement to to make, but I'll make it. I don't think science has the authority to say they have this thing figured out. I don't think they have said they have it figured out. I think that's what a vaccine says. No, they know that the vaccine does this. They know that it kills the virus and keeps the virus out. They don't know how long. They just know that it does. So then, well, how can you say what you just said and say that this goes away with a vaccine? Because this does. Everybody gets vaccinated. When If it starts to reoccur, you start to get more data, they'll catch it again. Oh, great. So what you're saying is that we just have a new but flu we don't to deal know. with. Well, we don't know. We don't know anything. We sh- in making the assumption that it is a new flu is probably ro- as wrong as making the assumption that it all goes away. Okay. So here's another weird statement, but don't misconstrue this one. When you don't know of something... Do you live life as if I can't be you held did? up by one little thing and one little worry? If I'm going to be held up in that and that little thing's going to dictate my entire life, then why live? No, but you can shift. Can you can you shift your style lifestyle? What if I don't want to? Well, then you're being selfish for a year of time. I'm I've been selfish for 47 <laughs> years, bro. To, I'm not talking I'm, to you, but <laughs> I don't think you're the person. I don't know. I don't know. If on a scale, noticed, on a but, scale uh, of one to ten, I think you've selfish. done a decent job. That's because I don't do half the shit that would put me in trouble My, anymore. The one, the you've one, made changes. You don't Uber drive. Well, that's true. You don't go out but in places without a mask. I never felt like that. No, I don't. Uh, you bring your hand sanitizer everywhere. Yeah, I got it on my backpack. <laughs> yeah, I do all the little things to. To prevent, absolutely. We're here because people didn't do the little things. Well, we're not here because people look can't go to grocery wait, stores, so, can't go to work. You know, when you talk the way that you're talking, I feel like at some point you're going to test positive, and I'm gonna, then then what are you going to say then? That you you're part of the mob? You feel that way. <laughs> it's like I don't want to say that I won't test positive. It's that's what I'm saying. I'm taking all these precautions, but there's a good chance that I'll get it. It's a good chance that I'll get it. It's a game attack, bro. Just, well, I'll get tagged at some point, probably. If you're a really good tag player, you know. I I don't know. I'm. I, hey, look, I'm gonna be one of the. I'll get in line for the vaccination. I'll get vaccinated. Uh, no problem here. You heard it here first. M48. I thought I'd be different, but um, not no, this. not this time. I'm ready. Are you gonna be a wave one vaxer? Uh, sure. If I can get in on wave one, but I can't get on wave one. Wave one's going to be, elites. well, wave one's going to be uh, medical personnel, right? No government officials are in on it too. Well, maybe some of them high ranking. What's high ranking official. Uh, you tell me, do you, do you qualify? Uh, no, I don't qualify, sir. I'm sorry. 
Oh, you won't like an E1. You won't win the vaccines out because your your administration. Perhaps I've already gotten the vaccine and I've been lying this whole time. Perhaps, perhaps the vaccine is a naturally um, created cocktail of things in your psychology. Maybe COVID only. I probably had COVID in the minds 19. Of the I was week. probably the first one to get COVID nineteen, like nineteen ninety two, and so I'm immune. I just don't know it yet. Uh, that's. Sounds far-fetched, but not really. <laughs> I don't think it's new. I think perhaps it it changed yeah. to affect us differently. Well, we clearly level. know that if it if we're on board with the scientific approach of what a coronavirus is, that this is just an emulation of previous coronaviruses that's taken on novel um, characteristics. Yeah. So it has been here for some time. I think so. I know I've had the common cold a million fucking times. So, what if uh, what if a virus mutates based on its host? Could and generally like, speaking, a virus is going to mutate based on its needs, right? Right. Not based on its host. Okay. Well, what if all the hosts have mutated in a certain direction, and the virus is smart enough to tap in on that? It's like, oh, in order for me to survive. I got to be depressed, addicted to opioid virus. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm I'm saying is, what if the the mental psychology of people across the world is a component of how this came about? What do you mean? Uh, What if this is something that could have easily been naturally done away with if people were just naturally primed to do away with what would be naturally prime a healthy immune system but there are what if everybody could have been asymptomatic would and we would have never known that this existed that naturally that would have been a possibility because it's a possibility in individuals right yes that's a possibility so what made people uh the the phrases pre-existing conditions right uh or susceptible to coronavirus i could go back to ancient dna though that you have maybe those of us with the neanderthal dna somehow had better immunity for this versus people without neanderthal i mean you know why why was chris christie in icu why wasn't he or why Why was was he oh was he i think he was for a period of time I think he was. I thought he was kind of one of those that when he got it and he didn't end up in ICU, I think oh, people were Dave surprised. Made a joke. I maybe Chappelle made a joke about yeah, maybe it. I maybe I missed maybe that's right. information. I yeah, he spent seven days in ICU. Okay. So why was Chris Christie in ICU? Probably because of week? who he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Generally or physically? Both. Okay. Because he's a politician and he's deemed uh imp- you know, but let's not stray away from that. What if, what if folks that are hard hit, and this this almost excludes elderly people because elderly people have pre-existing conditions just naturally. They're old. There aren't many eighty-year-olds whose immune systems are on par with the thirty-five-year-old. There just aren't. There's a small percentile. So COVID affects the elderly population significantly higher. With the baseline being weaker immune systems. Sure. Okay. Now, with the healthier folks, um, and healthy as far as age is concerned, COVID preys on, from what I can see, 
uh, lack of physical health. Boy, I don't think that's true. Chris Christie doesn't have a, yeah, a disability. Well, well he's, he's not exactly just, a healthy man if you right. look at him, right? He's just obese. But, How many people in America but, are obese? Well, you're you're again making, I think, a large assumption of the people who have caught this thing and what their physical makeup is. Um, you know, a lot of these young people that have caught it uh, from just going to the bar and everything, they're not fat, obese, diabetics. No, but they've got alcohol pumping in their blood. Do you think alcohol has a significant effect on the immune system? I can tell you that it does neurologically. So I would expect it. Does it have an effect on your liver? What about your digestive tract? What about all these aspects that could weaken your body's ability? Well, I think that, it, sure, that would happen if I you drank ever a cold? Every, every day for five or ten years. Yeah. That might happen. Bar hoppers. <laughs> but that's, well, if I'm just on one night at the bar and I go once every month, then no. My immune system's just fine. I don't think the guy going to a bar once a month is getting COVID. Well, I, I would imagine he is. Just like anyone else who's been exposed. They're not immune to it. You're you're ignoring the many conversations we've had about sustained behavior being a major culprit in here and sustained environmental it habit. It just takes once. <laughs> I don't know. It just takes once. One wedding. One funeral. You don't have to, I mean, it's you don't have to be a person who goes to a funeral every week. <laughs> or a few or a wedding every week. Let's be on the more well, happy side. Yeah. Let's be on the more go to a wedding every week and then you get it because you were going to multiple weddings. It just takes one event, one moment for you to catch this. This is not sustainability. I mean, it's not like if you're you just could travel totally and, exposed to it. If you could time travel to 2010 and say, do not have a pre existing condition in 2020. Because there's going to be this thing. No one would care or listen. Are you kidding me? I'd just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. God dang. We can't have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time and prepare people for inevitability, and inevitability was the pandemic of 2020, how would you do it? If, if it was guaranteed to happen exactly how it's happened, how would you save lives by going back in time? Well, one, I never would have gone back in time. Jeez, oh, you can't answer, folks. Because I would have realized it doesn't matter what I would have done in 2010. It would not have changed or affected any outcome in 2020. Because people don't listen when you tell them things or you try to prepare them for things. They wait until they're in the middle of it and experiencing it before they change behavior. If one of the two... If one of the 250,000 people would that has passed away from this had listened to you and you saved one life in 2010, what would you have said to get through that person? Don't go to the nursing home. Just stay at home. Try to ne never go to a nursing never home. Never go to a nursing home. That's that's good advice. Try to try to try to stay at home. Yep. Or I might be like move out of the city. Don't live in the city in 2020. Get into the country. Less people. I would have just said. Less chance. I would have said be healthy by 2020. Yeah, that would never would work. Quit, <laughs> quit smoking, quit drinking, quit unhealthy eating. And I stay, I, but the point is, these are the things that, at least I'm stressing, <laughs> to people today. 
which tells me that there's a reason why I'm stressing them. And there's a reason why I'm living them the healthier life. I'm, I've, I've got a little bit of weight to me. I'm not keto daily. I'm 6'3", 200 high 20s, maybe low 20s, depending on the week. It fluctuates. But like you said, it's very difficult to say, to tell someone that you care about you're living unhealthily and you would like to see them live healthier lives. They have to figure it out on their own. But what if you could pierce that veil and say, this ain't nothing compared to what's in the pipeline for the century as far as health mixed with events mixed with in you look at the way that mental health is rearing its ugly head in the last 30 years it gets a lot worse for folks moving forward if they are not in a sound mental health because i think mental health right now with the way of the world is a determining factor in how well you make it through all of this how well you can sit at home for a year and not go out, how well you can amend your lifestyle, how well you can even take being told what to do. Man, I don't know that that's mental health. It is. It's not. It's not mental health. Well, there are, I mean, there are psychological studies on an almost daily basis linking some things to the responses that we've seen in the last year from folks in this. I mean, this is a data mill for people if there was ever one this is the last year of of coronavirus is the last 20 of social media as far as the algorithm and the data aggregators are concerned boy i don't i don't think so at all mm. i don't think so at all uh you'll probably have some re- it, reserved it's, criticisms it's but one of the this is an, a unique event so any data collected during the unique event is essentially not going to be a good or valid data under normal circumstances? Not the case. I think... Oh, I think it is I think this is a barometer for these sorts of situations which are prevalent. I think think coronavirus pandemic is is a unique event, but I don't think that the way somebody treats the flu versus coronavirus is different. Flu had been killing 60,000 people a year for a consistent period of time. Yeah. For the last. You get used to it, yeah. But it's still killing 60,000 people a year. Sure. And it's not because people are catching the flu, it's because people are spreading the flu. That's how people die from the flu. Not because you walk into an empty uh, house or an empty room and the flu's just waiting to jump off of a fireplace or a kitchen table and get you. It is literally transmitted, except for very rare cases. From one human to another. Moving forward, I don't know. I don't want to say that this is our opportunity to see that, in general, negativity is passed from one human to another, or that some elements of life are toxic and uh, some mentalities and some illnesses are contagious mentally. Physically, all of the above. Well, I'll try to tackle that statement a little later. <laughs> Studies linked COVID-19 specific mental health factors to initiating drug use during the pandemic. 
So that people have nothing to do and they're using drugs. Oh wow. <sighs> Huge link. <laughs> well, why do people use drugs? It's not because they don't have I've never to do. understood oh yes it is. Part of it's I'm bored. Isn't part of it like I want to escape reality? It could be. Okay. So if reality is too daunting for them to face, drugs are an outlet for a yeah, lot of folks. Sure. Okay. What's daunting about reality right now? For people. You're locked down. Why that, that is what is daunting for are you. Locked you can't down? just go do what you want to do without having some sort of thing. There that's what's daunting about this. I've asked not that your fear times. of death. What have you not been able to do in the last year that you were doing the year before other than Uber driving? Go to the movies. Go see my grandmother every day. Why can't go you to, see? Go have my family birthday parties every weekend. Could you guys do that if you got tested beforehand? So I got to get the whole family tested, which 20 tests, 25 tests. That's just precautionary. Then I got to have everybody quarantine themselves responsibly for 14 straight days, uh, which for half the people who have to go into work is not possible. And then I got to ask them, you can't go to church either. Are you kidding me, bro? What you can't do right now? For me, it's not really affecting me too terribly much. But for a lot of people, there's a lot of little things that you don't even realize that you did that you can't do or don't do anymore. I don't go see my grandmother for fear of that she catches it because I From was you. somewhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then why don't you just get yourself tested? Well, then I got to get my, go well, how often do I got to get my, oh, I got to get tested every time I want to see my grandmother once a week. That's free. It's, it's, covered, not free it's covered with your health health coverage. You got oh, good health know. coverage. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's covered with your health coverage. I don't know that it is or isn't. I haven't even looked into it because I don't plan on getting tested. Plan on getting tested unless I'm feeling bad. Gotcha. I don't know. There's a lot of things. You know, my dad's funeral would have been twice, three, four times as large as it was. Um, That's I probably a would have went to unique event. a couple of weddings. Probably. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of social stuff that I am not doing now and have not been doing in the last eight months that I did do on a regular basis before. Eight months important as you're living them. Long term, in 10 years, are we going to look back and say, man. We could have just went full stop for six months and gotten rid of this thing. <laughs> Some people will say that. Will those people have justification? No. Well, if they didn't, and not really. I mean, in their opinion, they'll have justification. I mean, because when you look back, and like, I, and I was saying this early on, when you're when you end up looking at the numbers, you'll think, man, this, you know, a hundred, you know, seven billion people were held back by. A hundred million is that? Is that how things should work? Held back is not the right word, because or but not it the is. Right it's like not you held back from what? Continuing in education in school, um, missing experiences like prom or graduation, uh, job advancement, improvement. I mean, there's a lot of things here that that I would consider held back. Things have been put on pause. I think there's ample opportunity. For all of you don't get your graduation back. You don't get your prom back. There are. I would hate to have been a 2020 graduate. 
you're, you're first, not, think of all the things that happened that uh, year, right? I didn't right? go to prom, so I'm not the right guy to say how I mean, important prom is. I, I said no to 10 different invitees and no thanks. Well, yeah, you're too cool for school. We get no, it. I was too, school, yeah. too cool for prom. Okay. By the way, that's fake. I didn't get asked by anybody. I just didn't go. <laughs> and I didn't want to go. Um, so, I mean, you know, all the how graduation important, parties. How important is your prom to you at age 45? How important is your prom? I'm extremely glad I had that experience and I went. Why? I had a blast. It was a great time. It was a <sighs> great time. I just, I think, I think that about sums it up. We, um, we value, we value experiences. No, we value the, the experiences that are meant to come around on a schedule. They're embedded in our, they're embedded in our experiences. Yes. But the ones that are on a schedule, we get mad when they don't come around. Christmas being canceled or Halloween being canceled or the holidays being affected, prom being affected. These are Halloween doesn't matter because you know why? Mm -hmm. It happens next year. Christmas doesn't matter. It happens next year. Prom only happens once. Graduation only happens once. They can have all of these uh, 2020 proms just delayed. Why not? Go back as a twenty. Because everybody goes now off to college, so no one's coming back no, for a. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> not going off to college. I think a lot of kids do, and I think a lot of kids have. They've gone off to college, but and they're doing online courses, but they're at the college campus. Maybe I'm not willing to hear you out enough, and I should hear more on the prom discussion. Perhaps it's you're, not for everyone. You're you're right on the prom thing. I w- I would say you don't get your prom back. And you don't get your graduation back. If you were one of those that was... If, if it saves your grandmother, tough shit. You don't get your fucking prom back. I agree with you. I agree with you. Get over it. Fast. I, I didn't say that missing it was... was. Uh, I mean, it's it's bad, but if you're a, it was necessary if you're 19, during the time. Here's where it gets dangerous, though. If you're a 19-year-old girl who misses her prom... She lives at home with... She probably have to be 17, 19's old for high school, bro. Sorry. It's been a while since I've graduated. I was 18, yeah, class of 01, 83. So I put myself right in the middle of the average age, I would say. I think you were 18 when you graduated high school? I was 17. I was young. I was on the very young end. Good for you. Yeah. Not anymore. That's what happens when you're smart. (laughs) That's what happens when you go to school in the early 80s and the curriculum is like easy oh yeah comparatively anyways back to the prom discussion it's a good one 19 18 year old female lives at home with mom and dad for all intents and purposes most 17 18 year old high schoolers do doesn't her assessment of the situation or the gravity of the situation depend on how her parents are handling it? Uh, part of it. Okay. So it gets a little spicy and dangerous where prom gets canceled and your parents are COVID deniers. Because then you sort of have this built-in resentment for this period of time for the rest of your life. 
Well, you might have that without your parents being COVID deniers. Just based on You could the, have um, your parents being extremely cautious and telling you every right thing and you still resent it. That's very possible. Hmm. You don't have to have... COVID resentment's going to be a thing, isn't it? Probably. And maybe not. I mean, I don't know. Just depends on it depends how much on, longer it goes, honestly. It depends on the severity of it in the long run. I think if you, as soon as you eclipse a million deaths in this country, I, I the severity that, goes down. I don't. Or I'm, I'm sorry, the severity of the entire situation. I don't, I don't think so because it didn't. Well, people are numbers based here. Yeah, but it's not like you hit this magic number and then all of a sudden take it seriously. Mm, yeah. I think it's a million. No, there's not. A million's a big number for people. But that, okay, but by the time a million happens, we're going to be two more years down the road and. They're talking about half a million by the end of the year based okay. on the trajectory. I, man, I hear you do this all the time. Every time you jump the freaking count up. I'm just using numbers. We're at 1,500 a day right now, and that's going up. And if I look at the graph of the cases right now that are going up, and I just do an assessment based on, okay, 140. So what you're saying is as many people are going to die in the next six weeks as died in the first eight months. That's what you're telling me. I don't, don't don't point to the chart. (laughs) You tell me this. I think we are going to have 250,000, 400,000 by the end of the year, 150,000 people die in the next month and a half. Unfortunately, that's just, but that's based on the percentile of deaths. Like, just look at the case count. 140,000 people and roughly 1% of the people die on a day-to-day basis. On a day-to-day basis, it's been pretty much tit for tat. You had 900 deaths a day towards the beginning. It's, it's hovering right around 1%. It's a safe number to say your daily death count is 1% of your daily case count. And they don't, the two aren't correlated. They're not, but... <laughs> but you're trying to correlate them to make the, your argument. And what no, I'm, saying is I'm, you can't. I'm not doing it to try to make my argument. I'm trying to do it because the correlation exists, but they're not correlated. Like nobody's come out and said, uh, death and case counts are correlated. Of course. So you're not going to take my word for it and that's okay. But looking at the numbers, the deaths and the cases are correlated. Just based on how the statistics are reported. So if the case counts go up, once you hit 200,000 cases a day, which is probably going to be by the end of the week, (laughs) you're at 2,000 deaths a day in the U.S. If you plateau at a certain number of cases, which I think will be between 150,000 to 200,000 a day, then you're plateauing at 1,500 to 2,000 deaths a day. Multiply that by how many days left in the year? 45, 40? There's not that. I don't know. There may be that many. Okay, so if there's 40, if there's 40 times um, 1,800 deaths a day, because I think that's the the safe average for the next 40 days is 1,800. 40 times 1,800? It's like 110,000. What's the number? I don't know. I can't do it in my head. (laughs) 40 days left in the year times 1,800. That's the number of deaths you will see by the end of the year. 72,000 on top of what we've got right now. So that puts us at 325. 325. Nowhere near half a million. Now that's contingent on things not getting worse than the average prognosis or for the going next 40 down years. and being less. You're they right. don't go down. 
How do they go down? They go down well, by lockdown. Haven't we spiked and and come down and spiked and come down? We haven't even we're not done spiking here with this. Come on. We're not done spiking. You want to get into the details. If we were behind the scenes trying to figure this thing out and working in the scientific realm, this is what we'd be doing. So we'd be looking at old data and we'd say, how long did it take for us to hit the first spike? Uh, let's see. According to this graph, Morgan, in this chart, our first spike began cresting on March 21st and we didn't stop until June 15th. And then the second spike was late June to mid-August. So we're about a 30 to 45. And that's in the early stages when there's no known treatment. Where people where are we're worried. still experiencing. People are worried and experimenting. they're super cautious. We're, we're still experimenting with what drugs may or may not work. There's a whole lot of stuff that has happened between now and then. Lockdowns the were in place. People, for the most part, weren't even allowed to go anywhere but grocery stores and work for a good three months swath of time. Now you can go anywhere and I can go to restaurants. This little crest that we're seeing from um, late September to where we're at now in mid-November, it ain't slowing down if nothing out there is slowing down. That's the whole point, is that well, I think it will. If nothing changes, nothing changes. There's still 11 million cases. There's still 365 million people for this thing to infect. It'll keep going up until everybody gets it. If everybody gets it, does this graph magically somehow go in the opposite direction? You're 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 defeating me with a stupid argument, and I just don't want to argue argument. anymore. Oh, what's your argument about COVID? You think everybody like bring it on? Yes. But if you bring it on, then you're getting to a million deaths real quick. No, my okay. Yeah, that's if everybody goes and gets it right now, we'll have a million deaths. But right now, but, six but, to it, eight it, months. But but if it goes as it is right now, between now and the end of the year, we will not be at five hundred thousand dead. Which is what you're telling me we're going to do. If and what I'm saying is we, we have different it. treatment methods now. I mean, look at Trump. He was a miracle, right? <laughs> there was no pre-existing <laughs> conditions there. And and then we're going to have a vaccine shortly after that. And before you know it, all of this will be in the rearview mirror. Okay. My predictions on this, I don't want to be right on this one. If we go full, or if not even full steam ahead. If we don't change anything about the way that the world is going right now, or our world, America, right now, I think we can hit 500,000 by the end of the year without any, without any lockdowns, without any changes. But I say that in just, we, we just in the last couple of days. We won't. So we're not going to be responsible for the – well, we'll be responsible for the bulk of the deaths because we're responsible for the bulk of the cases. So just based on my theory – Texas, by the end of the year, should have more deaths than any other state. In well, we also have the most populous. That's not true. California does, and they have strict lockdowns. Well, actually, it is true. I understand that there might be more people in California, but we have like six of the top 15 cities in the United States right here in the state of Texas. But we don't have the densest populations in the country. We have, okay, so like where California might have three dense areas. Not just California. We have six or seven dense areas. Even on the East Coast, the state of New York has one dense area. That's it. One. We've got six. Poughkeepsie, They're spread out. But Poughkeepsie we've got six. is pretty big. 
It's a big town. Buffalo, man. That's just a hot spot. Buffalo is a big town. We got a couple of listeners there. Don't knock Buffalo. There's nothing wrong with Buffalo. Not Buffalo. And it's a town of 400,000 people. One. Syracuse is another. They have dense population areas. That is not. If you were counting, got if Dallas, you're counting Syracuse, Houston, then yeah. Yeah. count El Paso. El that's Paso's why. That's why Texas spot. leads the way. We have the more. We have. We have large. We have, we have several uh, large metropolitan do. areas where people are are all here. It has nothing to do with the fact that our government might be the most ill-equipped to handle COVID. I, I don't know. What I'm seeing from COVID is it doesn't matter what the government did; it you spiked. I see I, that all over the world. All over the world, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the the countries that treated it the greatest, the the countries that were on top of it. And they're spiking now. Yeah, but so what that tells me is it really didn't matter what you did between now and then, you spiked again. Well, that's fine, but the between now and then is quite starkly different between what's occurred and, and transpired in these countries versus what we've experienced here. The state of Texas, for all the of its greatness and its populated areas, and that fantastic, we eclipsed the number of case counts that countries like Italy that were hit first very hard. We have not way more people than Italy does. In the state of Texas, there are more people than in the country of Italy. Go ahead and fact check me. Oh, no, I think you're right. <laughs> I have no problem. I just want to, I just want to see what the, I don't know. Okay, you might be a little off. <laughs> What's that population? 60 million. So you might be a little off on that one. So Texas has half of the population of Italy. They do have an Italy, Texas, though. <laughs> Not population. <laughs> uh, state of Texas population is 29 million. And the country of Italy is, according to Google, uh, pretty substantial. But Milan, Rome, I don't know how how they get to 80 million, but they get there. Yeah, it's interesting um, that they get there. 60. 60. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly half of 29. It's close. Not exactly. <laughs> 29. Half of 29. Yeah, 58. Man. I love this show. Is. I love this show. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like an extension of my my marriage my marriage discussions. I like I like it. I like being wrong when I'm wrong, wrong. I like being called out on when I'm wrong. You do a good job of it. So does my wife. So do numbers of people in my life. This isn't the my wife segment. But you know, my wife never admits when I'm right. That's because you're never right. She says that too. Yeah, I know she does. I've heard it. (laughs) Doesn't change the fact that she's wrong in that assessment. (laughs) (laughs) I hope she listens one day. (laughs) I hope she listens to this episode. She's like, whoa. Fuck this show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Texas population comparison to Italy. Yeah. So Italy, early on, one of the hardest hit areas in Europe, right? We, we can all agree. What we're not willing to say is that, well, you're, we're probably willing to say this now. Texas has been the hardest hit state in this country. Again, because we have the largest cities in this country, the mo- most of them. Yeah. I'm partially on board. Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio. And that and if you just want to start to count the cities that are in between Dallas and Fort Worth, Arlington, Irving, Plano, Frisco. 
these are cities that that that, that yeah. Governor Abbott should have considered. And when, I haven't even talked about El Paso or Amarillo or Midland. Well, what I'm saying is, is that you have way more large metropolitan areas in our state than you do in other states. Yeah. So shouldn't the decisions be a little heavier well, handed when it comes to the state? I don't know that the, any decisions made in the state would have made that dramatic or, cha- or, di- or difference in anything. I mean, again, this is coming from a guy who has not looked at a lick of news in a week. But if you just type in Abbott or Governor Abbott and maybe add a keyword like uh, coronavirus, you'll get a list of articles that tell you what I was supposing in advance of, because this is based on me going out and seeing that nothing's really changed in the state that we live in, even though we're experiencing the worst of it based on the reasons and the criteria that you're listing, the fact that we've got tons of big cities, all that. Okay, that's fine. Those are all facts. What do we do about it? Apparently, we don't change anything. We don't lock down Based on not the criteria. You don't want to lock down. What I mean, you, there's no sense in locking down. There's no reason to lock down at this point. How many total cases in Texas? Well, I don't know. You, would a billion, you 1.1. Okay. Something like that. There's I don't know. 30, 28 and a half million reasons to lock down. Playing tag. Even if you're right and we all had this. What if I'm right and you could all get it again? Then we all get it again. No, you don't have to. We, we get the flu over and over again. Because we keep playing tag with it every okay. year. We don't change anything. But it, it doesn't dictate uh, where I go or who I associate with or when I do that. Sure does. No, it doesn't. Maybe it should during flu season. Have you gone to see your grandmother during flu seasons before? Uh, all Probably, the time. right? Yeah. Does that change now? No. That doesn't change. When COVID goes away. It's right back to. It's right back to. Absolutely. One, 100%. But if you're worried about it right now and going to see your grandmother. During- she gets a flu shot. I get a flu shot. So you can't compare the two, bro. They're not even close to being comparable. I have a shot for the flu. She has a shot for the flu. Neither one of us have a shot for COVID. Flu deaths in this country. Or exclusive to non vaccine or non flu vaccine? No, not necessarily. But there, there is. Uh, but the ones that are deadly, the the strains that they feel are going to be uh, the ones that are most uh, common that year, are covered by the flu shot. Okay, you're right. When you know, in in closing this episode out in the last half hour, however long we go for, I'm going to try to agree with everything you're saying. Oh my god. Let me just try and see what happens. Because, you know, there were time travelers, Morgan, that positioned themselves in a point in time and said, tried to warn people about what was coming <laughs> as loud as they could, and nobody listened to them. And if we had just listened to the time travelers for once in our lives, maybe we would have fared a little bit better. But. The above wouldn't have it. The folks in power, the Pontius Pilots of this planet, they couldn't see their empires crumble for a brief stint in time. <laughs> um, 
Uh, fabrics of the universe. That's right. <laughs> argument. Constructive argument. There was an article in uh, – do you read the Harvard Business Review? Yeah. There was a recent Harvard Business Review. I time out at five. I can only read five a month because that's all you can read for yeah, free. Yeah, for free. Before you, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I choose wisely. Uh, one of the ones that caught my attention, I want to say last I couldn't week. read it, by the way. Oh, you could? Oh, I sent it to you, didn't I? You did. No, I don't know if that's the same one I'm talking about. Is oh. it the uh, constructive argument? Yeah, where you you're thinking about the argument before you actually have the discussion. Yes, and then I, I should, that's I should beneficial. You are thinking about the discussion before you have the discussion. I shouldn't say you're thinking about the argument. You're, but you see it's how a, that works, right? Yeah. Because you and I have around three hundred hours of argument. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's not all argument, but three hundred uh, hours of recorded conversation sure of which i would say 20 to 30 percent i'm being generous here <laughs> is argument so it's probably way more than it that. is probably way more so let's just say half uh, 150 plus hours in the last year of argumentative um discussion but it's not angry argument i mm-hmm. would say the percentile of that is much sharply lower i would hope i don't know that i've been angry at all i know well the decibel levels would disagree. Well, I'll raise my voice, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know that I'll. Oh yeah, that's angry. not a marker for a for intensity. Is a better word, not angry. Sure, Inten- intense conversation. Yeah, I'm not mad. I listen. Well, you see, I right now it's an interesting bit. I don't want to meander too far. When I talk into this microphone, and when I when we engage in these conversations, they're very. Some of them are a lot more intense than they translate when you're listening back. Isn't that weird? I listen to my demeanor. When I'm recorded, I'm like, well, I didn't sound passionate. <laughs> well, I'm pretty fucking passionate about this as we're having these discussions. And then I listen back and I'm like, I sound fucking cool and level-headed about my my discussion. And I like that. Um, but to go back to this particular particular article, that was just my shameless plug of the week there, by the way, if anybody caught on to it. Calm, cool, collected. Our styles of arguing with one another, we can forecast a little bit based on baselines, right? It's going to be, it's going to catch me off guard someday when you agree with me wholeheartedly on a major issue that is for the topic of discussion on this show. Well, you know, sometimes we don't even kick around what we're going to talk about until minutes before the show. Even better. But then you're not thinking about the argument, though. Then the argument's happening more on the fly. Which is great, because I'm not giving you a chance to formulate, and you're not doing it either, to formulate an approach. Cogn- uh, confirmation bias. There we go. I don't allow your brain, and I would hope you don't do it either, the ability to reach a comfortable like something, a fallback. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? No, I don't. Okay. This is like on your toes discussion, meaning you have to use your intellect, your knowledge, your understanding, and your ability to navigate the conversation to even have it. Otherwise, it goes nowhere. Like, we don't have a show. We don't have a meandering stream of discussions and stream of consciousness for that matter, unless you and I can both 
engage in one another on the fly. If you sit here and contemplate what I'm saying, we don't chip away at what each other is saying as we're talking about it. I don't know. We should probably try. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The article, November 16th, Harvard Business Review. Disagreement does not have to be divisive. That was the one that I sent you. A well-functioning, I'll just read a a bit of the highlights here. A well-functioning organization like a well-functioning society requires employees and leaders alike to have productive conversations, even in the face of different views and opinions. In fact, especially in the face of such differences. And then the article goes into the details of how you need to do this. Now, this is where confirmation bias with me, I don't want to say played a role. So I'm just going to present you with the key points and you can just say yes or no. Simple yes or no. Do we do this on this show? Well, don't look at the screen ahead of time. All right, don't allow ahead. your brain to. Sorry. I'm hey, you're looking at it on your phone. No, oh, my God. I'm looking at the Mavericks draft results oh, on my okay, phone. Okay, good. go ahead. All right. So in order for a conversation to actually be productive or an argumentative style conversation, here's what you need to do. Number one, acknowledge the other person's perspective. I don't always feel that my um, perspective is acknowledged, but however, Fair. however, I don't know that I always uh, do that with yours. But yeah, I would say that we do make an effort to see things from different sides or angles. Yes. One, one for sure. one, acknowledging the views of someone you disagree with by saying, I understand that, or I believe what you're saying is. I <laughs> I may not say it exactly like that, but I very frequently say, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I'm not just saying those things. I get them. (laughs) I do. I understand why you think coronavirus isn't as bad as it is, even though I disagree with it. It's bad. I'm playing a role a little bit. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Okay. You know I am. Yes. You know I have to be the... The moderate, the, the moderate, no, be the a-hole. you're not that you're the moderate. You're right down. Gotta, the, you're I, the well, moderate. No, I got to give you uh, I, I asked yeah, you, but you well, said, yes, I am. A moderate, where, so. where is it with coronavirus? I said, is it less intense as intense as it is or worse yeah, than what it is? And you said yeah. as, but, <laughs> but now we know that's not the truth that you're just being moderate. Anyways, number two, hedge your claims in subtle and not so subtle ways. Our society conveys the message that we should be strong and confident, that we should grab what we want and express our views in a direct and forceful way. By contrast, being tentative, faltering, and uncertain earns us a reputation of being weak and indecisive. In a conversation, assertiveness and extroversion are prized, while humility, or I'm sorry, uh, in public, in society, assertiveness and extroversion are prized, while humility is shameful. But in a discussion, we have to be willing to admit uh, when we are wrong and admit and allow people to make their own choices when it comes to flexible decision-making. Hedge your claims. I don't know if I like the way they worded this one. For example, saying to someone that allowing people to make their own choices when it comes to flexible work might increase the commitment. (laughs) I'm just reading this because it sounds like something you've actually said tonight. I don't like this one. (laughs) You know why I don't like this one? Why? Because this one's on your side saying, like, you can't force people to do or, or think uh, certain things about about events out there. Right. 
But you have to be. No. I, Otherwise, you give them almost more, more ability. Well, you, you can't let power. them be wrong, right? They can't be 100% wrong or you try to prevent that. But were there people thinking there were everyday citizens thinking like cigarette smoking was healthy? I don't know that anyone ever thought it was healthy. Well, the you know, say 10, you know, one well, of the doctors once, were pushing out that it was healthy I, in the early sixties. I don't know that they pushed out that it was healthy. Uh, are you we, sure that wasn't going to look it up, but that wasn't yes, doctors did. paid for by the tobacco industry. Well, that's what I'm saying. And in turn, the people that absorbed that information but ran it with it, but it didn't take long after that for people to realize it wasn't healthy. Right. But the people right now who smoke, you can tell them, like, smoking's unhealthy. And they have to read this huge label on the side of the packaging, and they're paying, I don't know how much a pack of cigarettes there are these days, eight, nine bucks. But why can't you tell people, like, I'm going to take the cigarettes away from you? <laughs> because there's an addictive <laughs> chemical in there, and you know how that works. Yes, but you can force people to face their addictions. Not always, not until... It's, Force is probably a bad thing, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, that person's got to come uh, to this a conclusion on their own yep. that that they have a problem in order for them to build uh, towards that being a problem and fixing that problem. If they don't ever think they have a problem. You got to build self, self-awareness then yeah. because the only way that you address that you have a problem is via self-awareness. Yeah, I mean, look at how many people who have an addiction issue to like drugs or alcohol, how many times they end up going to rehab before, you know, maybe getting completely sober for years and years and years. It usually doesn't happen the first time you go to rehab, right? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine a lot of people just struggle with that uh, in a lot of ways. Well, they do say that if you can hedge your claims, I don't even understand that terminology. What is, I know what hedging your bet means right hedging your claim is not being definitive a little bit like okay 100 it's going to be this way all right so i got to work on this one so you would you would, um you know from a betting standpoint it would be like i might bet horse a to win but i'm also going to put a smaller bet on horse b in case horse a doesn't win it's so kind of like hedging your, a little i just bit. did it 30 minutes ago with Sometimes. the death count by the end of the year well, you're being more definitive and less. Well, I said five hundred thousand, yes, and then I did ridiculous. the math live on the spot, and I said, okay, it's more like three fifty to four hundred. Yeah, which is still, I think, too high. I'm just hedging my bets. No, hedging your bet would be like, well, it might only be three hundred, but it could be five hundred. But it's more than likely to be four hundred. You do plus. the opposite. You go, it's five hundred. <laughs> but if we do this or that, it might be 400. And then when it's 300, somehow, some way you'll still be right. It's amazing. Hoping in, in, in my case, this is kind of like talking to my wife. We had, we once had a discussion about how tall roadrunners were. You want to talk about a pointless freaking conversation that has lasted 30 freaking years. Was it based off Mary melodies? It was your number one data source. No, (laughs) you know, we were, Dry well, here's here's the deal. So uh I go into this goofy story. So I used to be a courier when I was very young, and I would drive out to these country clubs. It was the 
firm I worked for did accounting for these country clubs, did their billing a lot of times. So I would drive out to these country clubs that were sometimes in the middle of nowhere and uh, collect their accounting stuff and bring it back. Well, anyway, one of these clubs that was uh, up near Denton, when I would get out on the road, there were, there were down this one road in front of the thing, there was always this road runner. And every now and then I'd grab my wife and she would ride with me whenever I was doing that stuff. And so we see the road runner and then the discussion became how big was the road runner? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and it, it's goofy cause we went through this whole thing, you know, I'm like, he's about knee high. He's like 20 inches, 24 inches tall. Well, it's like, he's like eight inches. And so we go back and forth. There's no Google by the way, at this point in time, sure. so we got to go to the library. <laughs> We're taking the argument over how tall a damn roadrunner is to the library. And, you know, you open open it up. He's 18 to 20 something inches when he's full grown. And I'm like, I'm right. She's like, you're not right. What if he was a baby? Yeah. (laughs) She's right then. No, she was 100% wrong. Well, if he's full full grown. grown, Oh, how do you know it was a full grown roadrunner? Because he was knee high. Uh, you see, all right. Anyways, it's as tall as the tire was in the car. Okay. Well, this is what you should have done with her, because this is what the Harvard Business anyway, Review states. Every now and then, we bring this stupid conversation <clears throat> up about the damn roadrunner. So hedging your bets or hedging your uh, see, I hedged my bet. Mm, Eighteen to twenty-four. Hedge your claims is what the terminology and argumentative style that you use. I like it. I will. I will try. If I'm not doing it already. The next one, I know I do. And this is maybe where uh, you need a bit of help. Oh, okay. Phrase your arguments in positive terms. Oh, my God. You take nine minutes to phrase an argument. <laughs> so where is it cut through the shit and get to the point? But where is hard. that on this? You no, can't. it's not. It, it yes, is hard. you can. You can get to the point much quicker than you do. I agree. The reason I don't get to the point as quickly as I do and is it's because really fun to do it in a positive manner. Fuck it is. that thing. Can I tell you why I, I do this? I'm starting to figure out why I'm long winded and why it, it all, because you feel we're all less intelligent than you and you have to treat us like little babies and talk down to us for no. five minutes. Yes. That's why you do it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, we resolved it early on in this episode. Oh, did we? I go to the extreme end of the resolution chart. Yeah, and do you know how complicated it is? To work back to the level of you understanding why I'm going all the way out there. I think you would find if you just cut to the chase, more people would would be on board than what you do now. (laughs) You feel a need to over explain and that in not cut to the chase a lot of times. Under explaining has proven to me. Historically, the, the that problem people is, misinterpret. The problem under is my attention spans about thirty seconds, forty seconds. So when you're three minutes into your explanation, you've you're already at your lost phone me. At the Mavericks. You've already lost me, and I've moved on in my gotcha. mind to something else. And that, so uh, that's not assisting communication. That's what editing's for. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if you if you if if you broke down our our audio and you counted morgan's talk time versus sasha's talk time we need to be able to we need to be able to do it and that's one of the things i'm trying to work on uh, significantly i don't want to jump in and assume that i know what you're going to say i'll let you know but i'll let you know (laughs) if if that's not what i'll be very transparent of it i really don't uh i don't have any reservations about people trying to guess at what I'm getting at or cut it off and say, wait, wait, are you just saying this? <laughs> Go ahead, try. But when you try, phrase your arguments 
in positive terms, Morgan. It's easy during conflict to use negative terms. For instance, when you point uh, to arguments that the other person made that we shouldn't give any weight to, that's a negative, like, um, like well, you're, you're uh, wrong. Yeah, that, that's... <laughs> that's a negative. Okay, well, but, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit at all that that's uh, a so, negative. <laughs> but why should I care that um, a lot of folks are wrong about important things then? Let's turn this turn the tables around. In a one-on-one argument, if someone is clearly wrong, you kind of have to let them know that they're wrong. Otherwise, they go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, but I but it works differently on society level. Yeah, well, when if society's wrong, people. let them fucking fall off the edge because they're lemmings. Yeah, good luck fucking trying to turn that boat. It ain't happening. And challenge accepted. I like that. The way you said, turn that boat. <laughs> what you're saying is society is the Titanic. Yeah. And the iceberg is, the iceberg is conflict. Well, not really. Because if the iceberg were conflict, we would steer the boat into the iceberg on purpose and not try to avoid it. We are. We're doing it here at this table in constructive, argumentative style, if you and I can have every argument possible about a certain discussion, and we can just gut it, that's a service to humanity. (laughs) (laughs) It's a service to ourselves, is what that's a service to. It it definitely is, because the next time you're presented with someone who has an argument that... We yeah, had eight months ago. Yeah, you might be uh, have a hand up in that argument. Sure, you kind of heard other things. Absolutely, but and if other people hear it, and they benefit from it. Exactly, great, you know. But uh, but really, it's we're doing it for ourselves, or I'm doing it for myself. <laughs> okay, that makes one of because us because I'm uh, selfish in that way. That makes one of us. All right, what's next? Point to areas of agreement, even if small or obvious. I think we do. I think that. we do that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's just our confirmation bias. I'll generally say I agree with you on this point or that point or whatever. Yeah, like three or four shows later. Yeah, sometimes it takes a while. (laughs) Uh, That's about it. So to just to recap the bold, um, think about what you're going to say. Acknowledge the other person's perspective. So respect the person you're talking to. I think that's the hardest thing for people today when we're talking about people who don't know each other is impossible is acknowledging, uh, the other person's perspective. Here we are full circle, um, from where we started with a couple of the discussions of the internet. You can't do it. I can't gain the other person's perspective. Talking about like an argument on the internet. Okay. There's no way I can understand unless I check out their Facebook profile. Well, that's not true. I, I don't think you ha- coming from. I don't think you have to see them or see what other things they post. I would probably just give them a benefit of the doubt or ask for some clarification depending on what the argument is or what we're talking about. Okay. Um because I think it is easy to have constructive arguments on the internet. Boy, I don't because of the anonymity. Because you don't know who I am and you can't track me down and that feeling of 
I can say what I want and kind of do what I want and no one and won't have any consequences for it, you know, and not necessarily like you can't punch me in the face or you can't, uh, you know, then when do people bite the bullet and say transparency? And I'm not saying I'm the model for this. Tons of people do this, but transparency online, instead of you graduate from, from the, if you're willing to move the online conversation platform up a notch to be something like I'm suggesting it, where a constructive discussion can be had, you have to have transparency. So isn't it as simple as putting your picture in your name? I'm going to tell you that um, any discussion that happens on a social media platform or a chat room somewhere will never, ever be productive. It's a waste of time. Productive? Okay. Understanding. But if it needs to exist in order to... It doesn't need to exist. I think it does because you need to to be able to see how difficult it is to engage on the internet for us to move on from the internet and say, Hey, it's not the end all be, it's not going to solve this issue. That's why these sites exist. I think that's why, well, okay. The uh, social dilemma will disagree. These sites exist yes. for me to chase down women, to find my old girlfriends and pester them, uh, to follow models. Um, you know, that's what the, this thing exists for. It's all about the privates, bro. It's not about the in, intelligence and the conversation. It's all about the instant reaction to things. But that's what I want this thing to exist for. Well, it won't. It, you may want that, but no one else does. I think a lot of people want it to exist for those reasons. They just want the cute cat videos <laughs> or the porn. Well, it's impossible for us to sit down with everyone who wants to have a uh, I won't say that because they could listen, but they couldn't speak back yet. There's no platform for that. But it's impossible for us to have these conversations with people who are out there waiting to have these conversations with us or with anyone who's having these types of conversations. Unless they do it on their own, which is very difficult to do. We happen to have a very conducive uh, relationship and a sort of um, surrounding supporting cast. That allows us to do this very easily. I don't know that it's that easy well, for people. You could never have something like this through a social media platform. No, ever. no, no. But you could have what we had uh, four or five years ago on a social media platform. I don't, I don't you could know have, if that's true. You could have fleeting uh, sitting in the office talking about um, not trivial, but day-to-day stuff online. For me, that's a waste of time. It is. But for the internet, that's a step up. Not for the internet. That's what it is, right? You think it's all trivial conversations right now? I think it's less than that. I think it's all trolling. It's all... Yeah, I love to troll. I do. (laughs) I mean, I'm so... This is one of the reasons I don't really care for social media, because... Because you're part of the problem? (laughs) Well, you can't help it. You have people who post crappy things or say dumb things, and you can't help but speak on their stupidity or their idiocy, and it wears me out. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been halfway through typing some response to someone where I just went, it's not worth it. Yeah, same It's just not even worth it. Where this conversation goes very frequently is... I, I look at what folks invest their time in, and yeah, who who am I to say they shouldn't be investing their time in this? But I know what 
investing your time in trivial shit leads to. And I just kind of want folks to um, not have to endure that if they can, because it doesn't build strong relationships around you. It doesn't build um, character. It doesn't it doesn't get you further along in your self-awareness steps if you've even got them. There's just a lot it it chops you off at if you're spending your time trivially because time is somewhat finite uh, in this in this life, whether we know it or not, or whether we have a grasp of how finite it can be. It definitely is. Like 74 years is a blip on the radar, and I think that's the average age expectancy for a male in the United States. But that's a blip on the radar. If we're spending it, if you're spending eight hours a day sleeping, you have even less time. If you're spending the bulk of that drinking, eating, watching sports, that's great. It's fun. Good for you. But we'll never know what could have happened if you'd been spending your time doing other stuff. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give in to not figuring that out. I am determined in my lifetime to see what the results are of someone spending time where time has not been spent lead to. Yeah, you may be putting too much thought into it, bro. (laughs) Just gotta live just gotta live, man. L-I-V-I-N, live, live. L-I-V-I-N. Like, oh, uh, Wooderson from uh, McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused. It may be daunting to some folks. Which and is, McConaughey, by the way, he's in the news. He, he's thinking of maybe running for Texas governor. Yeah, I don't know. His new book, I want to read it. Green Lights or whatever. I've heard him talk about it a couple of times. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm ready to read that. He's greatness, in my opinion. You know, I had a, I'm, I, I had a couple of experiences where the guy that dated the girl after I was dating her ended up getting her pregnant. Mm, But not married. Just pregnant. No, because it was high school, bro. In in one of those cases, it was one of my friends, right? So I'm like, I don't know, I guess I might have been a junior and I'm I'm starting to see this girl and we're talking and I'm hesitant because I really care about what people, at that point, I cared a lot about what people would think of me dating this girl and she didn't have the greatest reputation like that freaking mattered. I mean, when you look back on it now, it's so stupid. Right. Sure. And so I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. My buddy's like, yeah, you shouldn't. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's, I I just needed to hear it from a friend that, you know, I shouldn't. And so I, you know, told her, "Eh, I don't think we're good. This is going to work. Two weeks later, he's dating her. (laughs) I'm like, you mother, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Right. Not Man. that it was worth it. And probably six months later, she's pregnant. And I'm just like, well, God, it wasn't me. <laughs> yep. And I dated oh, that, her younger sister who was far better looking. That range <laughs> that range of emotions you went through all in the span of eight months. Was oh, like, my God. Was like, pretty interesting. Yeah, much ain't much change. You're just having conversations about coronavirus going through. Spectrum oh, really? of is that, is that organized? No, that that's me complicating it. Oh. Yeah, I uh, man, I don't know. I'm gonna listen back to this one, and I'm I think this is gonna be my uh, soul searching. Is that a thing? Um, not okay. soul reflection? No, reflection. not soul searching. Self reflection yeah. episode where I'm gonna be able to really listen to myself seventy percent of the time. <laughs> 
really need that laugh track because there's no we don't need the laugh track when we say something like bona fide funny we tend to generally chuckle. laugh yeah uh yep and sometimes some of our jokes may fly under the radar i'll catch a lot of your it's jokes fly out listening the, back oh my oh yeah oh yeah i'll, I'll catch okay. a lot of your some of my jokes are humor. for one person That's yes a, and i'm okay with that i'm okay that there's only one person out there that might get a joke that i say that's fair i'm fine with that yeah you're just living. L I V N. All right. Just J O K I N. Yeah. I uh I don't know. I, I am so eager to see where this discussion goes moving forward in the weeks because I don't want to hedge my um claims and say that we are driven by what's going on out there. Even, we are. Well, it's difficult to say that because we didn't start that way. The show for the first 30 well, episodes was there wasn't, not driven by what was going that's, on. But it was, well, what's been going on, though, has been so topical. It was yes. hard to not be influenced by it. But what's been going on, some would say, was a result of the discussions that we had. Not directly, of course, but the fact that we were preparing ourselves conversationally for a talk like COVID long before our episodes if you listen to our early episodes morgan there is yeah i don't listen back to the episodes. there is an irrefutable i lived it buddy all right well in the episode before um we even tackled covid in early november when it was just a a a joke not a joke but single digit cases in china and nobody was paying attention to it yeah we're talking about with miguel on this episode uh, 13, we're talking about what it would take for so a global be January, December. It was, it was late December recorded or mm. mid December recorded. I don't want to move the goalposts there, but 13 was December. I don't know, bro. Well, maybe you might have to double check that. You may have to spot check that because okay. it sure didn't feel like we get, didn't get started until November, but that's when I we recorded weren't doing double. Oh, we yeah, we recorded and I chopped them yeah, up. I may have been chopping stuff up. Okay. And so that episode is from heaven to hell and back or something like that from hell to heaven and back, whatever. Um, but we're talking about a global consciousness shift within the context of the episodes. We're talking about what it would take. We're talking about the level of event that it would take in order for people to, uh, understand one another or start seeing each other's perspectives and point points of view. We're talking about the weight of the internet and how toxic it's become. We're talking about a lot of things that have at least been di- dove into, uh, dove, the, love dove it. into, yeah, into the, in the last year, love it because of what's been going on. So, it, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I like to label it the meandering effect because there is an effect, but I think it would exist without meandering. I think if we had these conversations off record, which we have some very frequently, there's an effect to it. I think it comes down to how close we are tapping into the fabric of the truth that can be tapped into. I think that's just the bottom line. And I don't think that can be capitalized on. I don't think it can be preyed on. I don't think it can be manipulated. I don't think it can be thwarted. I don't think it can be deviated. I think we have a certain purity in the 
style of conversation that we engage in that allows us to strangely cut to the core of the discussion. No way. Yes way. M48. We'll be back next week with M49. Who knows what the topic will be? Who knows? Who knows how the universe will respond to this one? And laugh track. Because, you know, the universe is just really laughing at us. Yeah, the aliens are for sure. (laughs) 